trying to score from the plug today. I sure could use a shot. Zannies are helping, but I need more. Guess I'll smoke some pot. I'm about to go insane. Sometimes I need to go where everybody does cocaine. And we always find a vein. I want to fix and do some blow. The troubles will go away. I want to be where everybody does cocaine. You should you dope, I'll smoke some crack. Junkies are all the same. I want to be where everybody does cocaine. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They are located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in eastern Los Angeles. They were created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to treat addicts and alcoholics with connection and compassion rather than control. Their staff has decades of experience in fighting addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone, and I mean this, everyone that I know that has gone to Oro has only said good things and it helped them in their recovery journey. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get some help and you're willing to do what it takes, check out Oral Recovery at oralrecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Your Sober Buddy. Your Sober Buddy is a great tool in your sobriety. It is an app that offers you challenges to help you stay sober, help you get sober. It is a platform, a Facebook, social media-like platform, all about recovery and sobriety. It is a Zoom platform that really brings the community together. I run Sober Buddy Zooms on Wednesday. On Wednesday this week, we had people on four continents. It was really, really emotional and incredible and helpful and fun. And it's cheap. And there's a free trial, 30-day free trial. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com, sign up, get the app, Come to the Zooms, be part of the community, and have another tool in your toolbox. 
YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workspace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey, www.soberlink.com slash dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by an amazing app and foundation called The Phoenix the Phoenix believes recovery should be fun. The Phoenix believes that we can have fun together. And the Phoenix sets up free gym classes, hikes, pickleball, CrossFit, art shows, music things. They do so many cool things. And all that's required for membership is 48 hours of recovery. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash movement or thephoenix.org slash find-a-class. It is super fun stuff. I've had a great time with the folks at the Phoenix, and I think you should too. Check them out at thephoenix.org. Let the Phoenix help your recovery be as fun as possible, and check them out at www.thephoenix.org. All right, enough with ads. Here's the fucking show. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave and I am at home. And this week is the fifth anniversary of my friend Todd's death. The summer is always really weird because in May we have Linda's birthday and Susan's birthday and Mother's Day and then my birthday but then we get into all the death anniversaries. We get Todd's death anniversary and we get Chris's death anniversary. And then we get Dopey Day, which is, of course, Chris's birthday, which is August 16th. So I hope everybody's getting ready for Dopey Day where we put the Dopey logo on our eyes to celebrate, I guess, recovery, addiction, mourn Chris, whatever. Support the show. Whatever you want it to be, it is. But it's it's a great celebration of Chris and Dopey. And... I think about Todd on a daily basis. I think it's important that we remember him. He was an incredibly important inspiration to the making of this show. I don't know. I don't think Dopey could exist without him, even though he was only on, I think, eight episodes. I also know that this show, Dopey, is one of the only places 
where Todd will be honored, where his name, and his full name, I'm just going to say it, is Todd Curry, and this is one of the only places he will be honored. So I'm going to tell you a few things about Todd that maybe you knew or you didn't know. He loved drinking lemon in his water. He also believed in CoQ10, whatever that is, and he was certain that his lemon water was going to keep him incredibly healthy and always harassed me to drink more lemon water, which I drank very little. And, of course, he chain-smoked Marlboro Reds constantly while drinking lemon water and not drinking lemon water. Uh, whenever he got sober, he would bike around Manhattan miles and miles and miles. He was a mediocre drummer who was forced to play bongos and congas in, in bands, and he hated it. But he did it because he was a good fucking hippie. He loved weed. He loved Bud. He loved nuggets. He called it the dank, the kill. He called it a lot of things. I don't remember everything he called it. It's been too long. He loved Puma Clydes, the sneakers. He had a crazy collection of, of suede Puma Clydes. The first time I ever heard the famous Grateful Dead Cornell 77 show was when I went back to Ithaca to visit Todd, and he had just gotten a bootleg of it on CD before it was ever put out, and he put it on, and I was like, I was blown away. I think the first time I ever smoked Crazy Good Bud was Silver Haze with Todd. Todd had a pit bull named Maggie that I lived with who was very sweet, and uh, Todd had to send the pit bull back upstate to his ex-girlfriend when he moved to Manhattan, which I think was always sad. Todd always wanted to be a weed grower. He was never great at it. There are great stories of Todd later in life living in Colorado growing pot that I'm trying to get unearthed for future episodes. So look for that. Todd had a fake gun. It was like a it was a pellet gun he kept in Los Angeles, but it was I think it was black and he kept it near his sad weed grow. Um I've told so many stories about Todd uh repeatedly on the show. Just drives across the country, living in each other's houses. Um, ultimately getting addicted to heroin together, smoking a, a shit ton of weed, him introducing me to meth. I don't know if we ever told this story, though. He had just bought a a car that was, uh, it was like a Crown Victoria that had been a police car, and the doors were white and the body was black or vice versa. And uh, our car had gotten smashed up. Mine and my girlfriend's car had gotten smashed up with Todd in it where he had almost died. So me and Todd went to get my girlfriend in his Crown Vic. And he had a ton of heroin in the car. I think he had weed in the car. He had something else in the car. And we were driving back from my, uh, my ex-girlfriend's job, I think across Sunset Boulevard. And uh, I flicked a cigarette out the window which I think is illegal in California, or maybe he didn't have registration on the car, but he always blamed me for flicking the cigarette out the window, and that's why uh, he was sure we got busted. Oh, man, the, the heroin wasn't even in balloons, now that I remember it. The heroin was in... Me and Todd had always, whenever, in the early days, before I ever shot heroin, we kept it in an Afrin bottle with water, and I remember the police coming up to the car and both of us just 
squirting as much up as our noses as we could before the police got to the car. And then um, they arrested Todd. They brought him to jail. They impounded the car. I grabbed a bunch of drugs out of his car. I, I think they arrested him for like a, a previous ticket that he had never paid. And he went to jail, and, and we had to get his parents to give us thousands of dollars to bail us out, which I didn't pay back for years and years and years. Man, he always blamed me for flicking that cigarette out the window. So to, to celebrate Todd's life, this episode, first of all, we have the incomparable Dr. Drew coming on the show again, which... uh. I always love to hear Dr. Drew. And and what we did actually was the Time, you know, Time magazine is working on this documentary series about Dopey and they're having me harass and 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 get in touch with all these old Dopey guests. So Dr. Drew went with me to Time magazine to talk about his past with Dopey and uh, we talked about a bunch of other stuff. Here's a really crazy exclusive bit of information. I reached out to Artie Lang and, and I know you guys know how sick I am with this. I've been reaching out to him the whole time. He's never responded. But when I mentioned Time Magazine, he responded. He wants to be involved with the doc. I followed up. He told me he's getting surgery on his nose, but he will be back. So something's coming. DopeyCon is happening on October 7th. So tickets are going to go on sale probably next week. The lineup is getting solidified. Patreon is booming. I'm doing these uh, just for today's every day. And me and Ray hung out yesterday and we shot a ton of videos. We did a just for today and we did some weird videos in the apocalyptic Canadian wildfire sky. And I know everyone's looking for me to go yell about Canada because the, the sky and so bad and these fires. But I just have love and compassion and tolerance for Canadians now. I don't resent them anymore. Here is a quick voicemail from Eric. What up, everybody? It's Eric out here in the Siskiy Mountains of Southwest Oregon. I got a story about poppy seeds for you. I think it was 09 or maybe 2010. But I had a big bag of poppy seeds, um, you know, and I was going to grow them. I'd grown them a couple times already, but nothing real, real large. But I've been saving the seeds, and I had, like, a whole bunch of seeds. Um... I had some land that was secluded, no neighbors, and I decided I wanted to grow a big plot of them. So that's exactly what I did, prepped the land, sowed the seeds, you know, thinned them out, and you know, they grew like wildfire. Before I knew it, I had a much larger crop of poppies on my hands than I had anticipated. I didn't really think I was gonna end up with what I had. There was, you know, like thousands of flower tops, white ones, pink ones, maroon ones. And they were pretty tall. They were like four or five feet tall, some of them. Um, so anyway, I'd grown them a couple times before. I knew you were supposed to wait for the petals to fall off. Then they're ready. And what you're supposed to do is go and slit those bulbs that are left over and let the sap or the resin or the latex, whatever you want to call it, seep out. Let it dry for a couple of days, come back, scrape it off the side, and then you have like the raw product that somehow some way they process that into heroin into opium into whatever um so i start doing this you know i'm collecting this dried sap that i'm 
kidding from slitting the flower bulbs and it's so fucking time consuming it takes so much time and you get such a small amount and i don't even really know what to do with it i try smoking it on some weed i try smearing some on a cigarette it tastes fucking awful i try smoking some off some foil um and then mind you at this point i'm i'm a, this is a couple years after i've kicked black tar heroin i'm still fucking neck deep in my alcoholism abusing every other drug i can get my hands on but i've been down a rocky road with heroin and thought that that was in my past so anyway i can't do the slitting the bulbs thing i've got there's got to be a better way i decide i'm gonna put them in a pot and cook them on the stove i get my hands on a big stock pot it's like 30 gallons i have a like a big like restaurant style like industrial like sheet pan I put all these poppy tops in this pot and like it's like full to the brim. Take a baseball bat, mash it all down. I had talked to a couple people too. I know some other people talked about this on their voicemails about poppy seeds, but I was also told like you put some lemon juice or some vinegar in there, it'll change the pH and it'll soak more of the alkaloids out. So I dumped a bottle of lemon juice in there with it, put it on my stove, lowest setting. I just let it simmer for a few days. My, my fucking house stinks. It does not smell good. But eventually, you know, some of the water cooks off and, you know, it cooks whatever out of these flower tops. And eventually I have this like syrupy, brown, disgusting smelling liquid. I decide it's time. So I strain it out, pour it on this sheet pan, leave it on my back patio to cool off. And eventually I'm left with this like goopy, like, kind of like the consistency of like thick caramel but it's like black kind of the color of black tar but it doesn't smell like black tar and i don't know what it is but it's something and it came from fucking opium poppies i try smoking it again on some foil on some weed it tastes so fucking bad i'm coughing my ass off um so i'm trying to figure out how to get this in my body like I know there's got to be something to it so I've done tea before out of the poppy top so I decided I'll just take a glass of hot water I stir a big scoop of this stuff in there and it dissolves instantly gets me high of course I'm a drug addict got to take it to the next level do a couple more I get real fucking high like itching all over I puke I'm so high and, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew it was a good, I kept telling myself like, okay, you can only do this once in a while, or maybe you can sell it. Like, but anyway, two, three weeks go by. And before I know it, I've been drinking like, like four to six times a day. I'm drinking a huge mug of this fucking shit. And I've got a little habit with this homemade opium or whatever the fuck it is. Eventually I have, I, I guess, a moment of clarity. Like I was just you know, I had such a bad experience being addicted to black tar. And I was just like, dude, you can't fucking do this again. You know where this is headed. And I put, I put the sheet pan in my shower, turned the hot water on and just washed it all down the drain. And one of many times that I've flushed drugs or washed them down the drain. And anyway, I did get sick. It wasn't like the worst withdrawals. It definitely wasn't like kicking heroin, but I did get sick and it sucked. And um, I'm glad it didn't lead me back to hardcore opiate addiction, but it was a little rocky thing that happened. Anyway, much love, Dave. Love the podcast. Shout out to all the dopes in the Dopey Nation, everybody in the Zoom room. Shout out Fentanyl J. Shout out Alan and all the rest of you freaks. And yeah, this is Eric signing off. And toodles for Chris. Thank you, Eric. You get a pair of dopey 
socks. I'll actually ship your... Eric bought one of the limited edition Bad Brain style snapback hats. And Eric, I'm going to throw some Bad Brain socks in with the hat so you can be matching. If anybody wants, I have a few Bad Brain hats left. I have a few Mets hats left. I have a few Dodgers hats left. I think I have one Knicks hat left. Just Venmo me. 30 bucks if you want stickers, 25 if you don't, to Dopey Podcast. I know Todd would have loved the poppy seed story. There's so much I can talk about, Todd, but I don't want to I don't want to bore you. Maybe we'll do another bonus Patreon. Uh, the end of the show today, I'm gonna replay Todd's last appearance on Dopey. We're also gonna hear from Todd's old friend Galoo. So there'll be a lot more Todd coming up. I want to tell you real quick if you love podcasts about recovery, you should check out our friend Nat's podcast Recovery in the Middle Ages. They cover all aspects of addiction and recovery. I've gotten to be on their show twice. It is Nat and Mike. They are two middle-aged suburban dads, and they are journeying the roads of recovery and reading books and reporting and setting up a scene. So check them out at recoveryinthemiddleages.com or wherever you get your podcasts. That is recoveryinthemiddleages.com if you're looking for a new addiction recovery podcast. There's so many uh, amazing Todd stories. I'm going to do a bonus Todd story Patreon. That's my plan. So we're going to go to Dr. Drew from Time Magazine. But before we play Dr. Drew from Time Magazine, I want to say maybe the most important thing, which is that Todd, you know, he died of a fentanyl overdose uh, right after he was sober. So he was sober, and then he went out, and he used some fentanyl, and it killed him. And they found him in his parents' house just before he got in the shower on, on the floor in his room, dead. And it was so quick. It was so easy how he died, and, and I don't—I knew how much Todd was using. I bet he got two bags, and it killed him. So anyone out there who is thinking about using or using, please be careful— uh, we set up a nonprofit charity called the Dopey Foundation. We're sending out Narcan, you know, Narcan. If 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 you need some, write us at dopeypodcast at gmail.com and we'll send it to you. We're sending out fentanyl test strips. If you are concerned uh, that you are using fentanyl and you don't know it, you know, write us an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com and we will send you fentanyl test strips. Also... More importantly, or probably less importantly, if you want to get a story on the show, if you want to be on the show, send in an email, send in a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If your story gets played or we read it or whatever, you get dopey socks. We just got new socks, got hats. So get get the merch, you know, support the show. Most importantly, go to Patreon. There's so much Patreon stuff coming out. I pledge to have something on patreon every day so go sign up sign up for the 10 bucks you get stickers for the five bucks you get to go to the dopey patreon zoom and if you were at the last dopey patreon zoom you know i apologize it was a fucking mess but next dopey patreon zoom is going to be a lot of fun a lot more structured fun and before we get to dr drew i need to say that this episode of dopey is brought to you by lucimira a non-opioid prescription medicine used in adults to help with the symptoms of opioid withdrawal that may happen when you stop taking an opioid. 
It's horrible. If you've ever been on opiates or heroin, it's horrible. I've been on both. Coming off of it is the worst. Maybe you should try Lusamira. It can make the symptoms of withdrawal more livable, which sounds very heavenly if you're fucked and addicted to opiates. But Lusamira can cause some serious side effects, including low blood pressure, slow heart rate, and fainting. Watch for symptoms of low blood pressure or heart rate, including dizziness, lightheadedness, or feeling faint at rest or when quickly standing up. If you experience these symptoms, call your healthcare provider right away. After a period of not using opioid drugs, you can become more sensitive to the effects of opioids if you start using them again. This may increase your risk of overdose and death. Tell your healthcare provider if you take benzodiazepines, barbiturates, tranquilizers, sleeping pills, or drink alcohol, as taking these with Lusamira can cause serious side effects. The most common side effects of Lusamira include low blood pressure or symptoms of low blood pressure, such as lightheadedness, slow heart rate, dizziness, sleepiness, and dry mouth. Lusamira is available by prescription, and only a healthcare provider can decide whether the product is appropriate for you. To find a provider who is right for you and to get more information about Lusamira, visit lusamira.com or call 1 833 L U C E M Y R A. And here is Dr. Drew. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to be back with Dr. Drew Pinsky and in such a fancy place. Are you I, impressed? I am. Is this where you're doing this now? This is the thing. Wow. No, I'm not doing it like Dopey this. Nation has arrived. We've finally arrived a little bit. We are at the Time Magazine podcast studio. Nice. And Time Magazine is interested in making a, either a documentary series or a feature doc about Dopey. Yeah. And they're looking for big time folks to sing the praises of Dopey. And I couldn't Jeez. imagine They got to get somebody in here then. I couldn't imagine anybody more big time than you, Dr. Drew. I am. You know I'm a fan. Thank God. And you know I've sort of lived Dopey a bit. A lot. You know, in many different incarnations uh, back when Chris was sick and was Chris was well. And then when Chris was sick again. And uh, I've been there with you the whole way, too, which is extraordinary. And you've maintained sobriety and maintained the uh, integrity of Dopey Nation across some heavy shit. Thank God. Yeah. But, but and what, you're what Dr. Drew is talking about is that you met Chris in his early 20s, probably. Yeah. Mid-20s. Yeah. In he California. Was, yeah. He was in a locked unit in a psychiatric hospital, and he was disastrous. And he, he, we did a pod about it where he and I laughed about what had happened. Uh, because he, he, he at that point looked like an irretrievably sick psychiatric patient. And, and he was on so much medication, I couldn't tell what was going on. I, I didn't treat him directly. I was sort of consulting on stuff with him. I was not his doctor per se. I was sort of brought in for various things. I remember seeing him there. And uh, he looked back on that time as him manipulating medication out of people and sort of, yeah, being sick, but really wanting stuff. Wanting substances, yeah. wanted, to, wanted to get high. There was some classic story where I think he he took a frame off the window and smashed it until they injected him with Haldol. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's and when somebody's doing that, now be, let's be aware. I, I don't know if I met, brought this up with Chris or not, but when somebody reconstructs that memory the way Chris did, it doesn't mean he wasn't really sick at that moment. You know, he might have actually also been psychiatrically ill. You know, oh, and, definitely. And, and we didn't really. You know, he may have seen it now as part of his addiction. When we were objectively assessing him at the time, he might have been psychotic. 
And so, and we don't, we didn't really make big mistakes like that. You know what I mean? We could tell the difference. Although, trust me, drug addicts were mistreated all the time in psychiatric hospital. They were, ugh, everything but their addiction was treated. You know, of course, and the patients love that, of course. And the court, you know, right? Right. Of you're course. Smiling. Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, because we get, we get drugs in those right. situations. Right. A lot of and the you time. don't, you don't have to deal with stopping doing the thing that your brain doesn't want you to stop or you don't want you to stop either. Uh, a classic dopeyism of the early days with me and Chris is, I don't know if severe mental illness is actually a phrase, yes, but Chris it and is. I it's just- It's serious mental illness. We, yeah. I think we called it severe mental illness and we just called it SMI. So yeah, that's what we call it. Okay, so that's like- what, That's what it's called now. So, so yeah. How so interesting. We, we, we would diagnose each other's bullshit with SMI or our manipulation with SMI. And I'm sure that when Chris was in that ward, he had actual SMI. I think he had addiction, manipulation, and some sort of SMI on top of it. It could have all been drug-induced. Who knows? You know, I I, I didn't do the assessing, so I, I can't really remember that. All I have is sort of Chris's assessment of it in his sobriety. Well, I, I also remember very fondly, and every time I see you, I think I, I get to think of all the, the times I've gotten to see you because yeah. it's a treat for me. Me too. Like, like I am, you know, a recovering heroin addict, recovering waiter from Katz's, recovering all these You're things. You don't work at Katz's anymore? I work at Katz's, but I don't have to wait tables. Okay, okay. So, like, and I think of, like, the first time we went to your house, we yes. bought new gear yeah. for you. And I was trying to remember how that happened. I asked my wife this morning, I said, how did how did Dave get to us? I think it was you, Susan. I it was Susan, okay. but what it was was Twitter. Uh. We, we were grising in the charts of the mental, of the alternative mental health charts on iTunes. Uh -huh. And we'd get past like black women in recovery and I would tweet, fuck you, black women in recovery, we're beating you now. And then we'd get past like recovery elevator and I'd be like, fuck you, recovery elevator, we're beating you. And then we got, we got near Dr. Drew and I wrote, uh. look out, Dr. Drew, we're coming for you. And then Susan wrote me back, that's awesome. And then I wrote, how do we get Dr. Drew on the show? And okay. she's like, you can do it. Do you want to come up? And I was like, ah. And me and Chris freaked out. And Chris was, you remember how geeked out he was in yeah, that apartment on the I Upper loved, West Side? I love seeing him, yeah. And the fact that, I mean, how many people have you treated in your career? Yeah. And you remembered him? Well, a couple things. Uh, if you had asked me to remember him without having him in front of me, it would have been more difficult because I, I, seeing him, I thought, oh, that's, yes, I remember Chris now. Also, he was dramatically ill. He was dramatic. I remember I, he and I were able to show stories about who his doctor was and what part of the unit he was in and stuff. Because I remember he was, um, oh, I wish I could remember why they asked me to see him. It was something, I think, medical. It wasn't even addiction or psychiatric. He had had a traumatic brain injury yeah. from a, a skiing accident where he was skiing drunk and <laughs> cracked his head open on a snowmaking machine. Oh, my God. Which uh, there's a great picture of him with his head gushing blood uh -huh. but i remember how geeked out he was with you going over all these different aspects of addiction and recovery and it was like heaven for him well and we and we um we sort of ran the cycle you know what i mean we 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 that was the first time we were together and so we all geeked out on getting the information out there using chris as an example whereas he was using himself as a case yeah. study and you yeah. too you we talked about your recovery right. stuff too that's true and that's how people learn that is how people learn when the people, that's why people share stories in meetings. It's not just for you, it's because people get get the spectrum of this illness. And then my job is to sort of uh, explicate, refine it, un help understand it better, you know, understand this, how, how cunning and baffling and all the things you know this thing is. Well, it was, um, 
I know that I'm grateful to everything you've done for the show. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think I'm most grateful for what you gave Chris that day. Well, that's, I feel like that was very special for him and me. Yeah. Uh, God, I don't think about it a lot because I, I get so angry at this illness sometimes. And, and when it's, and when it's as profoundly baffling as Chris. Well, he was, he had everything going for him. And then after he had died, you guys, you and Bob were an incredible support for me mm. and an incredible support for the show. And, um, and his story helped so many people. Yes, because it, it, it's 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 like a public event. You know, people see it and go, "Oh my God, I gotta I gotta be careful. I gotta be careful about my husband or me or my kid." I I, I see that starting to unfold because if you're, I'm sure you remember, things had been unfolding for a while in retrospect. Yeah, in retrospect. Well, it was all this positive stuff, then one negative piece, and then a lot of like, "I'm okay. It's all working out." I it's I mean he he got oh, it out of his head that it's all fucking illness it's fucking illness I I was so angry at him oh, for see, so I get, long I don't, get, I don't get mad at the person I, I felt like abandoned you oh, know what I mean well, like okay. I I yeah, felt abandoned and and my other friend had just died and it, it it's like there was so much trauma in that that was my summer Oof. of twenty it was five years ago summer of twenty eighteen that five years ago this summer. My wife had just had our second daughter mm. at May 15th. Mm. May 16th, we moved into our first house. Mm. June 13th, my best friend Todd overdoses. Oh, I didn't and know And then that. July 24th, Chris overdoses. I don't think does. I knew that, did I? Maybe. But it was just, it was a traumatic Jeez. fucking thing. Oh, yeah. And and I, I am excited to be here. And we have Pete Callahan, a producer from Time Magazine Documentaries here. I want him to grill you. Are you ready to grill, Dr. Drew? Here, come here, come here. Somebody you've known for a long time, right? Pete Callahan, no. Oh. I know Pete Callahan's boss since we were four. Oh. But Pete Callahan, I've met in this thing. Pete is also in recovery. Oh, congratulations. And he also went to Mountainside where we went. Oh, wow. But not with us. Pete, I want to get serious here. Pete, Pete's been involved with Dopey for a few months now, and I don't think he's his voice has made it onto the oh, show. Good. So this is a big treat for yeah. everybody. This is good. Dopey Nation, this is Pete. Yeah. Hey, Dopey Nation. Dr. Drew, appreciate you coming in. Of course. This is, this course. is, uh, this is really great. Um, really happy to have you on. Biggest, and first and foremost, is how effective and, and important do you think the Dopey podcast is for the recovery community? Well, yeah, how important are we, Dr. Drew? Well... The the actual answer is I don't know, right? That's the actual answer. Mm. It seems extremely powerful to me. It seems like everything that recovery is—the community, the support, the storytelling, the you know the reminders of how treacherous this thing is—it's almost like a podcast. It'd be in, it'd be not right to call it a podcast version of a, of a meeting, but it's a outgrowth of that community and it's the it's the it's this digital media's version of that mm -hmm. great yeah well, something that you alluded to earlier saying that in meetings people tell stories yeah and that's cases great, cases we yeah. learn from cases when i go to medical school what do we do we finish with the books and then we go out in the wards and we study cases experiential learning infinitely more powerful than book learning mm -hmm. agreed and i think that's kind of what at the heart of yeah. what dopey is doing of course is telling these stories and telling and not escaping from some of the sensitive areas that people will avoid and really getting into the nitty gritty of it, but adding a little bit like I, I, we don't know how to avoid that shit, do we? I mean, when you're when you're you people know, try to. Well, they try to to sustain their illness. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's, 
all we're really, all we're trying to do, and I say we, I'm using the royal we or the, the whatever's left of Dopey because we have a little bit of a team. But uh, what we're trying to do is have fun and keep addicts company. And I think well, it was. It, you're right. It was. It it, it got kind of serious after Chris died. But it was very very positive, upbeat, fun. You know, it was funny telling war stories and stuff. Yeah, it was really funny until Chris died. Yeah, it was really funny until then. And we reminded, oh shit, this thing's serious. And then for yeah. like, then for a long period of time, it was just sad. Yeah. And I didn't think that the show was gonna make it really because I wasn't. I wasn't interested in doing a sad show about addiction. And when Chris was alive, the thing I said so arrogantly mm. was, um, "We can laugh the survivors laugh." Mm. That was the thing I always said. And then he couldn't laugh it anymore because he didn't survive. Mm. Now, Pete, any more scintillating questions on behalf of time? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's plenty. I oh, mean, how about it? Yeah. Uh, in, in your professional opinion, how is our, our telling the stories that addicts have yeah. and shedding sort of the fear that, it, that comes with those stories that they hold internally? Yeah. How effective do you think that it is in, oh, it's in the, the medical key, process? Key. Of, key. Of so, so there's this weird. <laughs> bias going around. You correct me if I'm wrong on this, Dave, but people go, oh my God, stigma. We got to fight stigma. I have never met a drug addict that felt stigmatized. Drug addicts want to do drugs, period. And families feel stigmatized. Families complain about that. I find that sometimes drug addicts in early recovery who are not ready to get They'll out. They'll use it. They'll use yes. it. Because they don't want judging. people to know because yeah. if they know, then they can't use. Correct. It, that That's not stigma. That is the that is the illness. That's denial. But that's where it gets all like nice the illness, and muddy. The illness uses everything. It uses everything good and everything bad to sustain itself. It uses every intellectual capability you have, every emotion you have, every relationship, every skill set, every context for your recovery all gets used by the illness to sustain itself unless there's somebody from recovery going, hey, stop it. Stop it. You don't, you don't stick. Shut up. Just tell your story. Shut I think up. that's really, really interesting and funny because it's true. I think addicts who, who get really invested in their recovery are not worried about the stigma. No. You know, I'm sure there are some. And that's where the humor kicks in. Right. That's where it gets. People are funny in this disease. It's, it's like laugh out loud when you kind of see through what's happening. And I'm telling you, some of the biggest laughs I have are with Chris. We were laughing our ass off that day up at my house. Definitely, because you can't believe, I mean, and then, but then it's the survivor's laugh also in effect, because uh -huh. you're laughing because the two of you are now in your apartment yeah. recording this podcast with Chris and sobriety. Yeah, yeah. And then it's funny. It's oh, like, it wasn't funny when I was- it, Of course. It, yeah. But when Chris is in your apartment, when me and Chris are going to go eat Chinese Cuban food across the street yeah. and we're chilling on a winter's day in 2017 or whatever, mm. it was really funny it, and it, sweet. Yeah, it, cause it, because- because p humans are funny, okay? They just, we just are. Yeah. And this illness exposes so much that is funny about people. And I gave you a, a little bit of shit coming in here because uh, all my formerly junkie friends, and, and by the way, no stigma involved in that. All my friends who are junkies call themselves junkies, right? You call yourself anything different? I feel I feel yeah. comfortable with that. Not just comfortable, you celebrate Well, it. I have great junkie pride, yes. Yeah, junkie pride. I do, I do. But there's a junkie thing that kind of stays with you forever. Right. And, and I recognize it in everybody. And it cracks me up. So where so where was my junkieism so in, in today's to, exercise? Today, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was 
Well, I tell you what happened. So, because Bob Forrest does this shit to me all the time, and I just call him out on it constantly. And, and so, it's when a junkie wants to get you to do something, they, <laughs> they feel a little guilty about right. it, and they're not sure you're going to do it. So, they will give you obfuscated material. <laughs> like you will not, you will not know what the hell's going on. Like, why am I here again? Where am I going? Right. What time am I going to be there? What am I doing exactly? What's going to happen to me when uh, I get there? I, I, I had no idea about today. I asked Dave a hundred times. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's the junkie shit. I know, I know what that is. Marin often called it my Jewish junkie hustle is what he liked to call yeah, it. Cause, yeah. Cause I, cause I'm so Jewish and such a junkie yeah, and trying yeah. to hustle. But it, it, it's and I knew you'd want to do. I know you like this. No, kind but it's, of stuff. it's just a thing. It's I just, know. It's just it's a built leftover behavior. Yeah, it's just it's, leftover you, behavior. You still came. I, of course, yeah, I'm yeah, coming. It's, I, I trust Dave. I love Dave, and it's. I'm. I don't. I don't. This is. <laughs> this kept him alive at one point. You know, it's a deep thing in his in his behavioral repertoire. Does that? And let me ask you this: as it, from a clinical perspective, yeah. is there any fear? I mean. It's, when you say that, it kind of hits me in a scary place. It, you should be afraid of it because it, it can get the better of you. That's the problem. We started the show when I had four months. And as long as you have somebody going, hey, stop the junkie shit all the time, you'll stop it. But yeah. if you're left to your own devices for six months, that shit will find a way in. <laughs> that will do something to you. I don't know what, but it'll find a way to do something. My wife, who's a therapist, often accuses me of dope fiending her, which is just uh, – really fun to hear what, what does that even mean it, it's like what you're talking about it's like when you're trying to pull something off but you say only a piece of the story and not the <laughs> rest of the story it's a classic obfuscating lying bullshitting manipulation that's what this thing is yeah. it's like this is the obfuscation part. i'm gonna say that people who aren't junkies do it too and it, they're not junking oh of course of course it exists out there in the world but it but but it has a special <laughs> yes. flavor with a special I, currency i love it I, I love it i actually love it I, I miss it when i'm not around it enough but but let me think the the um the question was is is dopey am i at risk if I give up the show or all that shit, like when you're talking about, if you dopey, give up this show, are you going to relapse? I don't think so. But in you, but as a, in a, in a no. professional, opinion. my instinct is no, no, but you're going to have some major feelings about it. And I'm going to need to fill that hole with something 100%, else. hundred percent. Exactly what I was going to say. Now, what's the next question, Pete? Quick. Had you heard of a, a podcast, a recovery podcast that has the same undertones that Dopey has prior to meeting Dave? You know, there are a lot of recovery podcasts out there, and they don't usually become that popular because they are war stories and, and sad and serious and that kind of thing. Just think about the name, Dopey. I mean, we started from, look how silly this thing is. Look, at, look how dopey we were in this illness. What, what did we think we were getting away with? And that's sort of what we, you and I and Chris talked about. Totally. But but uh, but recovery pods, I, I was doing one at the time, if you remember. I was this doing, life. Yeah, I was doing this thing with Bob Forrest. And it was just sort of, eh, it was, you know, it's, I like doing it. I like, I like. I was on it a couple of times. I always enjoyed being yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked the, 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 what we were putting out there, but didn't really, didn't catch the world on fire or anything. It was just sort of, eh. And sort of, you know, it, yours is, has got legs. Well, the Dopey fucked has legs up. Because it's a community and it's, it's a community built by the addicts for the addicts. I appreciate that, but the really fucked up thing is, I don't know if Dopey was going to have legs if Chris hadn't died in the way in the way it did. I disagree. I disagree. Mm -mm. It, it has its arc, just the way this illness has an arc. Right. And right. It's it just. What? But like when after Chris died and This American Life did the piece about us, 
my dad called, you know, accused uh, Ira Glass of being a death merchant because of that story, the way he told it. it was so it's like obvious the death was so like, oh, my God, I can't, you know, it's like it's like dun, dun, dun kind of thing. And then our audience tripled or something from but, this American well, life. Piece. Dun, dun, dun was how we all felt. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. I think that's very accurate. It, it was like, oh, no, you know, and, and the whole the whole I, I guess I could get angry with him if I thought about it the whole way he did it. God damn it. Well, I mean, I I think I'm finally free of the anger. Yeah. You know, and it, it only comes with a lot of time. Are you doing any Al-Anon stuff? No. Mm. And and my wife actually runs a, a suicide bereavement group in our town. And now they've added fentanyl overdoses to the suicide bereavement sure. group. And sometimes sure. it's like bing, bing, bing. Uh, that the, the families of suicide are like resentful of the families of of fentanyl overdose because or vice versa because the fentanyl od families don't feel like that their family members did it on purpose it's an accident and, and whether it was addiction i mean it's interesting though right yeah so the fentanyl overdoses are coming two flavors right they're just somebody's fucking around with drugs and accidentally overdoses and that number is getting big crazy fast. yeah the other version is this is the ultimate progression of addiction and this is the piece i i i've ended up having to emphasize over and over and over again now that people just don't get this thing is progressive it is progressive and it ends in death especially opiate addiction what we're going to inject heroin addicts nurses are going to give them the heroin that's going to be the solution it progresses no matter how addicts get their drug just the continued exposure causes a progression it's in the definition of this illness does that mean you don't love the safe injection model? It, I am fine with the safe injection. I have, I have no problem with anything as long as the goal is get them off this shit and into recovery of some type. What about when the goal is let's just keep them from dying? I'm okay with that too sometimes. But injecting with heroin, you're not going to do that. Suboxone on reduced doses with other kinds of management, um, okay, okay, in, in irretrievable cases. You know, if, if Pete got addiction, if he relapsed tomorrow, I would not be doing that with him because you need to return to this. You're having a flourishing life. I need to get you back to that, not to a state of sort of not dying. That, But some people, you have no options. And there's a and there's probably a progression between you're totally fucked. I mean, like methadone never. It's funny because I was on methadone for a long time and I always I mean, I tend to put it down because it was a lot, a lot of lost time. And a lot methadone, of they're, they're, you know, with, with Suboxone, at least you can get down to a low dose and you can sort of function pretty well. A lot of people do quite well with it. Not everybody. I'm, I'm not I'm not into one treatment for uh, everything. Everybody's different with their treatment. I, it's got to be specific to the individual. But methadone is, is, a, is a oh, it's so hard to get off. It's impossible to get off. And it's a state you're just you're just done. That's it. It's, it you're on the couch. It's called a life. And like, did they recently set up safe injections in New York, right? I think I in Harlem, they, they I have did no it. problem with that. I have any problem with that. I don't. I think their idea is that people, if they OD in that spot, it can OD be reversed quickly and reduce the risk of AIDS and all that kind of stuff and other other infectious diseases and things. So fine, let's do that. But just leaving them is a death sentence. They will die. It will progress. Safe injection or unsafe injection. It may be a little quicker with an unsafe injection, but that's it. But I mean, I listen to you and I and I can't help but think like so many heroin addicts like who don't get it and mm -hmm. all they want 
is to be able to shoot dope yeah. and 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 die, but not quickly. They yeah. want to shoot dope for as long as they can yeah. and then die. Yeah. And maybe part of them wants to get better, yeah. but but it doesn't. They don't get that chance. You know, it's just it's just it's 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 hard. I feel very fortunate that that I my life changed. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't know. And it happened over the course of a long period of time with a lot of trial and a lot of error, a lot of failure. As it usually is. And and then all of a sudden things changed, you know, and, and there is no, as you know better than I do, there is no magic wand. We don't want to see anyone die. That's part of the story. And um, I feel for the junkies who, who, who never get that thing where they're like, holy shit, I don't have to do this or I can try living without it. I, I am telling you, I have studied, you know, moments of clarity and moments of change because, you know, we're, change for humans is hard. And nowhere more so than when you have an illness that's driving you the other way. Changing the course of that is hard. Talk about what you learned when you studied moments of clarity. So what I think I'm seeing, and there are probably different kinds of moments of clarity. So, 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 you know, when a patient would come in for treatment, I always go, you know, why are you here? And uh, if they said, uh, I just had a near-death experience and I barely made it out, I lost my kids, I lost my freedom, I think, oh, I can work with this person. This person's at least something like ready or maybe ready here we'll see uh, but i that person's probably got some motivation when they come in and say my wife sent me or i'm sick and tired of being sick and tired it's like all right we'll see what we can do it's gonna be one of the one of the treatments that they go through and we won't waste our time it's important for people to expose this stuff but it doesn't usually end up in a straight road to recovery that's for sure so i i've talked to a lot of people uh who've had various kinds of moment of clarity and oftentimes I would say the core experience is seeing themselves as they are, right? Seeing reality on reality's terms in terms of who they are in their illness. It will often include seeing themselves in a mirror and going, oh my God, that's me. I can't me. believe I, I have can't believe to this that's point. me. Yeah. Did you have any kind of like in the mirror thing? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big so time. So it's often in the mirror, but it it's you've been looking at mirrors for years and not had that experience, right? So what led to that moment? where you can have that clarity. And I've interviewed a lot of people about this and when a massive weight change, change in addictive disease, whatever the big change was, typically, well, at its core, what I found that the necessary element is another person to be seen through another's eyes first. You don't really know that's happening to you, but to allow sufficient connection with somebody who seems to care about you, closeness, we call it intimacy also, interpersonal neurobiology kind of kicks in, which is this very well-developed field now, to be seen and metabolized. You know, that's what therapy is. So you feel felt, you're, somebody else is experiencing you, that person then metabolizes those feelings and offers something back to you. That's what therapy is. It happens out in the world too, in not quite the same form, but it happens the same way. And Eve, it's like, remember the book, The New Pair of Glasses? Yes. I, I always think of it as a new pair of glasses. You're seeing yourself through a new pair of glasses through the eyes of another person reflecting back to you in ways that you didn't really even notice. But it, oftentimes, it's a person that's different than you would usually hang out with. Right. Like something's just a little, like that's not somebody, I'm, either it's somebody not co-signing your illness or somebody that's, you're not, you know, we, we have these weird attractions for friends and things in our life. And it's not, it, the attractions are always not so good, especially when you're in addiction. So it's somebody you're not attracted to that way. It's just somebody who just, you ended up sort of liking and spending time with just because they had a different way of looking at things or something. 
Who even knows? It's it's all over the place. It's frankly. amazing though because you might see that reflection in that mirror a million times, but then you see it from one angle, and you're like, oh my god, and you actually see it. The other person allows you to step. They're 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 seeing you. You're co-creating something together. And so you're a little bit removed from yourself in the eyes and the relationship, we'll call it, of the other person. And you can see yourself a little bit. And then it comes rushing in. What an incredible thing. And like it's not always that, but I've seen a lot of but that. when it I mean, it's it's how do you bottle it? Like as somebody who's done, yeah. you know, infinite treatment, like how do you set up interventions to make that happen? Well, I'm sure that's the plan, right? Well, you know, you said something a few minutes ago about, you know, what about the guy who doesn't want to get well and he's hopeless, he just wants to die. There's hope for that person. Of course. Uh, but that hope exists outside of themselves in other people. Right. And you have to be getting to them with fentanyl right now. That's only you have to like, get like fast. Yes, it's like 30 minutes you've got when they're when they're that's you know, the coming scariest, up. That's the really thing. sad part about this one. You know, at least with and then meth has them. Uh, deranged deranged so it's hard to get through that so you you have to be able to at least alcohol get, they have a lot of time to get it get together they well sometimes it can get bad too and people forget how bad alcohol can get and so it, it is about you know the the medical pharmacological situation being such that they you can reach them i mean that's already something that has to be sort of established and again if you're doing injection sites you could you could time it dual interventions and things you could do stuff they're doing nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Makes me furious. That's the thing. That uh, but the, the, how do I do it? Uh, so I always saw that one of my key roles in treating people in early recovery was teaching them about that frame. Okay. So I think I've told you the story before. It's one of those exemplary stories I like telling. Uh, there was this. So 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 what I do is I I even in their early illness I can kind of get to them. I kind of reach it and intuit things and. Everything coming out of their mouth is all bullshit and whatever. I barely listen to what's coming out of the mouth, but I trust what's going on inside me, and I trust what comes out of my mouth. And when that thing is an authentic reflection of something going on in them, remember the, the addict doesn't really know what's going on, right? They lose track of things. That's why the lying is so pervasive. They, they, don't, they lose track of the truth. You, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't, right? Often yeah. you lose track, yeah. 100%. Right. And so if I can cut through all the bullshit and, and touch them for a second, it... It, it creates a, a, a feeling of feeling felt and known in a way that allows for this closeness to continue and maybe to start to see themselves a little more realistically and then hopefully go out with their peers and their sponsor and sort of let that be a model for what they do with them. Does that make sense? Of course. Okay. So the the one case that I always talk about that, that I just said was just a great story was this kid that kept coming in, heroin, resistant at first, this is like treatment five or something, and then started coming in after overdoses and... Finally, he comes in and he is sitting in front of me. I always liked this kid too, and I, I was hopeful for him. One time I thought we had him, you know, and then back out. And he was sobbing. He was just sobbing. He goes, I'm gonna die. I know it. This was it this time. I just and I and I felt his pain, right? He he was hurting. And something came out of my mouth. I, I just I couldn't believe it. I but it's how I operated in those settings. I would just let it happen. And I was just looked at him, I go, Dude, you're so full of shit. I don't even know what's going on anymore. And he stopped crying. And he looked at me, looked up, and he goes, I know. I can't tell anymore either. I don't know what's bullshit and what's not anymore. And and from that moment forward, we started working. Right. Uh, it was like, it was all bullshit. I couldn't tell it was bullshit, but some part of my 
body picked it up and I trusted that you would, you can't, you can't imagine. I mean, it takes a lot of skill to trust saying that stuff because it gets scary. You know, I thought, because by the way, when he looked at me, I thought, oh shit, what did I say? He's going to, this dude's going to punch me or run out of here or something. And he just said, yeah, yeah. How did you know? Finally. <laughs> yeah. But it's finally, finally, finally someone's somebody, telling me yeah, that. Yeah. Finally, know? somebody sees my bullshit. I, I can't tell what's bullshit anymore, which was uh, quite a moment. Well, that's, I mean, I think uh, I sponsor a kid who's like just, you know, he, he tells a lot of stories. Yeah, and yeah. It's very hard to keep yeah, track yeah. of, of oh reality. Yeah, boy. But, you know, I try. Yeah. I try. And yeah. it's not up to me. It's up to him. And it's up to you to, to try to trigger that kind of response. But how many, you know, like every person that succeeds probably you're like, okay, thank God they're on their path. And then every person that fails, it must be like just so painful. See, I don't. As a treating person, for friends and family, yes, it gets like that. But as a treating person, I, I try not to have expectations at all. Right. I just try to do what's right and correct in the moment. And sometimes it means kicking them out of treatment and things like that. Right. You and, can't control and, the outcome. And and, and I and, and what happens, this is what I'm sort of want to zero in on, you do this long enough and you have these experiences over and over again, whereas somebody you thought was doing great, Chris doesn't end up so good and somebody who didn't give a chance in hell to comes up to me four years later and shakes my hand and says i'm getting a phd in psychology i've been recovering four years when you kicked me out of treatment that's exactly what i needed i wasn't ready to hear you yet but that moment stayed with me right i wouldn't have said that person was going to be the you didn't know i didn't know all i know is that they had to get out of here they were they were harming other people they were cross lines that we can't have crossed in a treatment center Give them some referrals, move on. And that's the right action. And you hope the outcome is a good one, but you'd make you'd I, I like can't even us. I can't even hope I I can't even like go to hoping. I I I here's the the most important word if you're gonna be in treatment professional is whatever. Right. Here's the outcome. Whatever. Sound like I, a waiter I, at Katz's. I, I bring the meal. <laughs> if you like the meal, it's good. If you don't, whatever. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a very useful word. I got Not it. that I don't care. I, I do care. That's how I felt as a waiter. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm looking in a weird, distorted mirror. I'm sure there are lots of things in, in that are life similar. that are similar. Yeah, very it's much funny. so. All right. Pete, you have any more questions yeah. for time? Oh, he's got now. I've got one last one. So you, you kind of touched on it a little bit of, of Seeing your reflection, yeah. somebody else can, that's how they can it's, identify. It's, it's not it. seeing your reflection. It's, it's sort of being seen and then right. able to see your reflection. Yeah. And putting on that new pair of glasses. Yes. Yes. Do you think Dopey does that for people? That oh, don't absolutely. You never know what it's going to be. And it, and I, you know, Celebrity Rehab did that for, for people. That's what, that's what we wanted to Soberhouse do. Soberhouse did too. Soberhouse did it. You, Dopey does it. Uh, Bob and my uh, thing we were doing does it. You can never tell what it's going to be. It's really, it's really hard. You need just, you need a lot of stuff, right, to get to break through the cunning, baffling, intense quality of this illness. It's interesting. And sometimes it's uh, it's a series of things, right? Like I could see where Dopey. I would bet Dopey would be more of a kind of a what we call a contemplative uh, assistant. You know what I mean? There's different phases of change. The pre-contemplative, pre-contemplative, contemplative planning. Change, so what's what's contempl what's pre-contemplative versus contemplative? Real quick. Pre-contemplative is just you. So you're using. You, you, you're using. Yeah. It's, it's a little. That's why it sounds so good to yeah, me. Yeah, right? it's in addiction. Pre-contemplative is yeah. sort of doesn't really exist. Yeah. Yeah. Contemplative is where you just nearly died. You thought, no, I should do something about this. And uh, and somebody refers you to dopey. You hear the stories over and over again. You go, oh, this, somebody understands this. I didn't know. Then I hear from a lot of people, and I never. I don't talk about this very much, but I hear from a lot of people who really are like, wow, you guys seem like you're having fun. Like, yeah. like I, I hear, I, I get hope because you're still doing this kind yeah. of thing. Yes. And then 
there was so much, and I, I say this in a weird way, power in Chris's death mm. because so many people were like, if this could happen to him, yes. it could happen of to me. Of course. And then all these parent, all these people just showed up yeah. and they were there for each other, which is why, yeah. like, I don't know what Dopey would have been if Chris had lived. Uh, you keep saying that. I don't know what it would have been if Chris had lived. Uh, I do yeah. know that his death, although it was incredibly painful for a lot of people, I know it helped a ton of people. Let, I, I'm having a kind of a weird thought in that it started as kind of the two musketeers, like warriors, like these are recovery warriors. And something that happens to warriors is they get killed. Right. And then the other warrior has to keep going. Right. Uh, and I kind of feel like, you know, D'Artagnan just kept going. He had to keep doing his job and uh, helping and uh, d didn't make him less worthwhile. It made it different. Yeah, I don't, I'm not putting a value on it. I'm just trying to make, I mean, the power of his death and what it did. I mean, like this woman, okay. I set up some weird Google voice thing where people could call in and leave voicemails, mm. but I didn't realize that it would ring on my phone. Ah. So I'm walking down the street and I see my phone ring up and it's somebody in like Wyoming. Mm. And I think it's a Katz's thing. <laughs> so I answer the phone and I'm like, David, it's David. And it's, and it's a dopey person. Mm. And she's obsessed with Chris. Oh. And she can't listen to an episode without him. Uh-oh. You know, and th there's 400... This after he passed away? Ye years. This is, this is like two weeks ago. Oh, my. You know, and, and we've done 413 episodes. We did 142 with Chris. Mm. And she listens to them over and over. And she wants to get a ID like Chris had. Mm. And she is so... You know, she, there's so many people out there that are just like in this moment of Chris's life. And when he died, it fucking was a lightning bolt into them. Yeah. And it's powerful. Yeah. That's why I keep talking about it because I hear from people all the mm -hmm. time about it. Well, the way he did, the, the cunning nature of his thing, it even surprised me. Yeah, it shocked me. Yeah, yeah, it kind of shocked me too. It shocked I, I, But because me. I can, I'm so good at whatever, I thought, oh, there we go. Another one got the better of me. I should have seen it. Now I would like to move on. You. I would like to move on to Ozempic, Dr. Drew. <laughs> so I don't know. I have not used it in a, in a setting. I, I've heard that it uh, interrupts drives of all types. Right. Certainly hunger. And it makes sense to me that those are similar mechanisms in the brain. So why not, right? And so I, I don't know. I, I, people will study it and we'll see. Addiction cure? No, no. No such thing. Right. No addiction cure. But- the the goal is to make recovery possible, okay? And in making recovery possible, because there's still all the shit, right? Let's say let's say it did magically take away the the obsession completely. Let's just say it did. <laughs> still got some work to do, right? Definitely, yeah, definitely. It would be it would be crazy, the ramifications of a pill taking the place of all the work that we do. It, it, it's it doesn't impossible. make sense. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Because just think of it this way. Not, not only do you have whatever was uh, you were trying to escape, the emptiness, the hole, whatever it was, at the beginning, you also have the, the, the destruction, the carnage, everything you did, and you have to contend with that. Uh, so just those two things uh, require a lot of work, well beyond just the obsession. So I'm excited to see the, the studies on Ozempic as it too. comes in. I am too. I think it's going to work a little bit. I think it's going to be another little thing we have. We have lots of little stuff like that now. So 
And we don't know about side effects in terms of just Ozempic for weight loss. Okay, what mean, are they? I mean, you, people look a little drawn and uh, aged sometimes with it. And obviously you're you're nauseated and your energy can be down and uh, you don't feel great sometimes with it. So it's not something you want to be on for long terms, but you do lose weight. Fast. Maybe too fast. All right. Now, recently we got an email about a dude who Why was- Why are you smiling like Because I think this is funny and I want, I'm excited to hear your response okay. to it. We had a, an email from a dude who was in prison and uh, Suboxone is very valuable in prison. Oh. And the way they deal with it, or the way this fellow dealt with it, is they cut up the strips mm. and they took it by putting it on their eyes. Sure. Have you heard about this? Uh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, listen, addicts are freaking improvisational geniuses <laughs> right. and chemists right. when it comes to getting the best amount the best way. That makes perfect sense to me. I've not heard about that, but I should have seen it coming. Should've have you encountered any problems in in people putting acid in their eyes or anything in their eyes? I mean, sure, but nothing serious. Okay, what about up the butt? Uh, again, nothing serious. I mean, you get stuff can happen. I mean, most worst thing is they get stuck. That's the biggest problem. And and the boofing phenomenon, you know about the boofing phenomenon? No, tell oh, me. Oh, the boofing phenomenon is is taking drugs anally. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like yeah, taking yeah. meth up yeah, the yeah, butt yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or coke up yeah, the butt. I just say rectal. Yeah, See, I think we're, we're trying to, we haven't really conquered why it's called boofing. Uh, Margaret Cho assumes it's it's putting together the words butt fucking. Yes. And it becomes boofing. Right. That's what that word is. But that's what it's always been anyway. But it's just, it's a funny new twist on boofing. And why do people, medically, why is boofing this incredibly sweared by method? I didn't know that it was incredibly sweared by, but it's a very efficient way to get uh, transmission, right? And, uh, I, I don't know. Does it miss the liver that way too? No, I don't think so. You're still going to get it, but it's a highly absorptive area. And so you're going to get a big dose quick. And have you ever heard the anus described as the third nostril, Dr. Drew? Now I have. Okay. Very good. Uh, what about Kratom? Oh, disaster. What's up with Kratom? Opiate, period. And opiate addicts trying to find a kinder, gentler, whatever, and end up in trouble. So I've, it, I've never seen it not end up in trouble. And, and how come- For an addict, for an addict. If, if a regular person's using it, it's just mm, not good for them, you know. Have you seen any people with prolonged Kratom use and, and you know, uh, withdrawal and all this oh, stuff? Oh, terrible, terrible. Where have you encountered it? I, I can't tell you because some of them are public figures and some of them are patient stuff, but I've definitely, various settings. And do you treat it the same way you treat anything else? Uh, I, I would, I mean, I'm not running a treatment center right now. Uh, it, the problem is people, here's what I've encountered. People are like, well, this shouldn't be like, this should be a big deal. I'm just going to stop it. And the withdrawal is very intense. And so they tend to try to do it on their own an awful lot. It can end up sick. It's become like a huge conversation in Dopey Nation where all these people are switching to Kratom and then they get super sick and they're going on Suboxone for the Kratom. It just seems like an endless revolving door. Cross addiction is cross addiction, man. Opiates are opiates. There will never be a non-addictive opiate or opioid, period. Well, is, if Kratom is an opioid, then how is this happening? Because they, they're sold the line of bullshit. They, of course, it's all denial and the usual. You know, it's, it's sold in head chops. It's legal. How bad could it be? And look, so-and-so says it's great. He takes it all the time before he works out. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I, it's perfect. 
for the thinking, right? Isn't it? What about this new era of uh, of really, really high potency gummies that are legal? Well, THC. That's the big catastrophe right now. That that is what we are seeing more of than anything, which is hyperemesis, supposedly uncommon. See it every day. Wait, what's hyperemesis? People that vomit from, they have persistent recurrent vomiting. And they, they do these multi-million dollar workups and nobody asks them, are you smoking weed or taking gummies? And it's just extremely common. The psychosis and manias are just all of a sudden just off the chart. Because in the old days, there were no gummies. When I was a pothead- It's not just the gummies. It's just, it's just the concentration. I mean, it's the real problem is the dabs, right? That's the real that's where people really get Tell in trouble. Tell me. They have just high, high, high concentration that's, you know, delivered through your lungs in a, in a, with a blowtorch. I did it's the, the crack once of- and I felt like it was literally, I mean, I, I think I hadn't done heroin in a long time and I haven't done a psychedelic in a long time, mm-hmm. but it felt like somehow a mix of acid and heroin. That's about I, what it is. It has hallucinogenic properties and opioid properties in those high concentrations. And yeah. what have you seen with, with dab people? So if you're doing dabs, you've got a problem. You're in, a, you're in the world of addiction now. That's like extremely likely. And then the other thing, not just with dab, but just with high potency THC over long periods of time, generally it's psychotic. I when when it was first reported that if you remember back even in the nineties, there was a lot of back and forth like weed is causing psychosis and these kids. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I mean, they probably already were sort of prone that way. No. Now <laughs> normal people without SMI are developing psychotic illness a lot. I've seen it in my own family, I've seen it everywhere. And you've interviewed my daughter yet? Not yet. Oh, you got to get her in here. Yes. So she is a recovering cannabis addict and has seen a bunch of stuff, and she can tell you all about it. It's, it's the problem right now. And God knows what it's doing to young people who consider it natural, good, healthy. It's the best thing for you. I don't know what it's doing to their brain development. I don't know what's, what it's doing to their progress in life. It's, it's just cutting the, the knees out from under people. I like that recovered cannabis addict. I'm a recovered cannabis addict too. Sure. I loved cannabis. Yeah. Uh, and same with Pete. Look at Pete. Fucked up stone. I had what was called CHS. What is that? CHS. Cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. Hold on. Come, you have to say that on the mic. Uh, We were talking about it. You were out of the room. Hyperemesis. Yeah, my daughter had. I've seen it all the time. And nobody ever asked if the people are vomiting every day or they're smoking weed. Now, what about people who I like to call psychedelically traumatized? Like when you take acid and you wind up in the psych ward and And you never come back. Like the Sid Barrett kind of story. That's just brain damage, I think. From like LSD. Uh, From something. I've seen I've seen a lot of that. That's why that's why when people talk about hallucinogens as a therapeutic thing, which which there's a lot of, and I, I do believe we'll come up with some stuff with that. And I have psychiatrists, fine psychiatrists, who really think they're doing something with it, particularly with psilocybin. But I have seen long-term consequences from from various hallucinogens. They scare me. So sure. until we know the risks, I, I can't get fully behind it yet. So from you know a professional medical standpoint, yeah. if you have MDMA, LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca, and iboga in front of Which you. Which am I going to pick? Yeah, what are you going to pick? Not I... for fun, but for, you know, for, for helping people. For helping people? Yes. Oh. Like, well, which do you think has the best potential for actually... Probably different for different things. So we know that MDMA is helpful in a therapeutic setting for complex PTSD. And there's... Have you seen that? The data is better for that than any of the other hallucinogens. Save, except LSD for end-of-life dread. Really? So if I had a, a terminal illness and it you know, bothered me, I would think about it. It's also psilocybin has been shown to have some effect there too. But LSD seems, in my reading of the literature, seems to be the best. So if you have you know, terminal illness, LSD. If you have complex PTSD, unresponsive to everything else, MDMA. 
Psilocybin is what's sort of being looked at for mood and, th and, and panic and things. So we'll see. The microdosing. We don't even. That business? I, 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 it, we just don't know. We just don't know what we should be doing with it yet. I mean, there's various ideas. Dr. Various. Drew, can I ask you a personal question? No. Okay. For you, MDMA, LSD, psilocybin. Which am I going to do? Yes. What do you like? E e what do I like? What do you like? If Dealer's choice. It seems to me the one I've seen the least long-term stuff from is psilocybin. So that's the one I would choose because it seems safer than some of the others. Actually, MDMA in a, in a single setting also pretty It's fantastic. Pretty yeah. If I do, wasn't a drug addict, I'd be on MDMA right maybe, now. Maybe I'd do MDMA. Maybe I would do that. Psilocybin intrigues me, but you're right. I mean, I think I do. I, do, um, I think together. A little M no, a little that, psilocybin that I, I'm and not MDMA. signing off on the chemistry. No, 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 no. You're fucking becoming a junkie. I have, I have, I have serious <laughs> problems. <laughs> now, uh, what was I going to say? Fucking sleep aids, Dr. Drew. Yeah. How dangerous is melatonin? Not, as far as we can tell. Good. Yeah. How about Benadryl? Not, although you nice. get... Although you get something like called tachyphylaxis, which you tend to need more with time, and if you go above 50 milligrams, you're... Maybe going the other way, so you have to take breaks. You have to take breaks with that. I heard story of um, Alzheimer's connected to melatonin and Benadryl. Do you know anything about no, this? No, I don't know anything about. It. I've heard it connected to benzodiazepines. Alzheimer's, dementia. Mm -hmm. What about if you're on benzodiazepines? I was on benzodiazepines for shock, for, shock, for shock, many, shocking, many, 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 many years, and I have deep, deep portions of my life that are gone. Mm. And, I, and they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. What about long-term effects like that? Do you think I'm in the, in the market for senility and Louis body? And oh, all no, that kind no, of stuff? I don't think that predicts it. No. I okay. Mm -hmm. That's so, a pharmacological effect. What does that mean? That's not a exactly? neurological effect. That's how benzodiazepines work. They block long-term memory. Right. It's so not, that doesn't that, mean your brain isn't working right. It means the drug is doing what it does. Is the memory somewhere in there or no, is it gone? It didn't go. It wow. Didn't get filed. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. What a crazy concept that is. Now, I have another personal question, and you can pass really quickly. Last time I saw you, you told me a story about smoking weed in a certain yeah. exciting yeah. setting. Now, now, did I say it on in public? Or I, I, well, no. Okay. I, it was after well, we were done you? recording. You told me the story, and I was like, fuck, you should have <laughs> told that story on Dopey. What, <laughs> what do you want me to say? I'm not going to say who was – I don't want to out people, but I went to a party – a stoner-friendly party. Yeah. In Hawaii, probably. Some very prominent stoners. And I announced to my wife, like, I'm going to have to smoke weed tonight. And uh, she's like, why? I go, mm, you see, look who's there. It's going to, you know, I would need to be one of the cool kids tonight. Let, let, give, me a, give me a pass. They had these big cigars with the plastic tips. Have you seen those things? And They're uh, like cigarillos, but they're uh, for weed. Thick. And, Just uh, weed, no tobacco. Weed, and it turned out some hash, too. Nice. And, um, nice. Kind of look at you too, Jesus. <laughs> so I, um, everyone's going to town on these things, and I thought, well, how bad could they be? And they first now they offer to me, you know, give me the I go, all right, take two hits. I immediately have a toxic reaction called an anticholinergic delirium, which is I've now read up on this on the marked upswing in people over the age of sixty. Something about our brains and the intensity of the THC creates these anticholinergic reactions where my mouth suddenly got dry. White light became extremely bright. I couldn't tolerate even being inside. And I couldn't move. I, I became like a Parkinson's patient. I was shaking. Oh, my and, God. And my wife, I ran. I didn't run. I sort of stumbled over to my wife. She goes, sit down. I go, I, I can't. 
I didn't know how to sit down. And and so finally she's like, oh, blah, 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 you know. Was Susan stoned or no? No. And she la- kind of laughing. And so I stumbled outside and I thought, okay, I'm just going to pace around out here. It was the most uncomfortable feeling you can ever imagine. Any, the opposite of high, misery. And I'm pacing around. I just thought, okay, if I can just kind of hang out out here for a couple hours, this thing will pass. I, I recognize what it was. I And I thought, boy, you know, but these things cause seizure and I probably should go to the ER, but fucking TMZ's sitting there all the time. I, I got to just wait here outside. And, and, uh, and full on weed induced uh delirium psychosis yeah, it delirium. wasn't a psychosis it was it was a it's anticholinergic delirium it's called and uh after what seemed like an eternity my wife kept coming out and checking on me uh, she, she comes out one time and i go i go all right how long have i been here i thought she's gonna say like an hour and a half <laughs> it's like five seconds five minutes ten minutes yeah, yeah and i thought oh i have to leave i have to get out of here and i couldn't drive for three days i couldn't work out for a week wow i was it was just a mess. And like mess. only because I love and respect you so much that I'm not going to grill you on these world-class stoners that you were with. But I'm dying to. But I'm not going to. Out of love and respect. Mm-hmm. Just love and respect. Good. So we have, we have a lot of Dr. Drew fans in the Dopey Nation. And one of the biggest Dr. Drew fans in the Dopey Nation is our intern, Claire. Okay. Claire loves you. Have I met Claire? No. Okay. Uh, she loves you. She loves Susan. Now, this is these are a couple of questions from Claire. Okay. Claire's first question. One of Claire's boyfriends, and Claire's many boyfriends, mm. is in the Premier Soccer League mm. in, like, whatever, UK. And his team gets prescribed an opioid every game day. Wow. At least once a week. What are wow. your thoughts? Is this really risky? Do you know if the UK wow. is more relaxed about prescribing opioids because they haven't seen the effects of the epidemic? She's right. That is true, number one. Number two, it seems like a terrible idea. Terrible. I mean, I mean our, not only in terms of triggering addiction, but our, our pain system is there to help us right. uh, in terms of feedback from the environment. And blocking it, oh, my goodness. It just, just seems risky so business. dangerous. But, you know, I'm sure the NFL does similar stuff. I'm sure of it. Uh, and so it, it happens in professional sports. I'm, I'm not that surprised. There is sort of a general thing in Europe of sort of denial about addiction. It's just they're very... Um, Laissez-faire? Laissez-faire meets, uh, they look at alcoholism and addiction as an identity. That's Joe the guy that drinks. That's Joe the drinker. (laughs) What are we going to do with him? I remember I was in an Italian restaurant in Florence, Italy, and this dude was so fucked up, so drunk, he was just spilling. The food was going everywhere, and the other... The, the other waiters and the managers were like, <laughs> he's so fun. Look, right. that's Joe. Right. Joe, you Joe's being Joe. That's right. he's that right. guy. He's, right. I, that's like, wow, he, Joe's gonna die. That's what's gonna happen here. And he's certainly not gonna be able to work much longer. Do you so, think that that has sort of part of it is the acceptance of the acceptability of alcohol? Part of it consumption? is they're in massive denial about it. They have right. they have some of the highest incidence of alcoholic liver disease in the world. And yet they always say, Well, look at us, we teach our kids how to drink. Fact is, if you learn, if you're exposed to usual alcoholism, first exposure is in the home. That's just a fact about alcoholism. Second fact is, if you're exposed at a pre-adolescent age, the incidence of problematic use goes way up. All right. Now, I hear this from Claire. I hear one of two things surrounding my generation, and Claire's, I think, 21. Okay. Uh, is Claire here or is she in the UK? She's in Canada. What the hell? She's a Canadian debutante who's on some very high-end dating site, and she hooks up with these very wealthy athletes and people like that. Oh my God, this is hysterical! Is yes. she a sex addict? I don't. I no. I don't. I don't think so. 
Claire, not, not that Claire, I know. I don't talk. know that Claire is a sex addict, but or a love addict, or that's kind of how women come into sex addiction. They come in through. I don't know. This is very interesting. What though. was her drug of choice when she? She's she, not an addict. Oh, okay, not an addict. Okay. She's not an okay. addict. Okay. But she, we have a guy on our show called Fentanyl J, okay. and Fentanyl J was a horrible fentanyl addict and fentanyl dealer, Oof. and uh, he's looking at many years of prison mm. in Ohio. And Claire was hoping Jay would marry her so she could get her green card. Claire. She's, she's, she's a card, that Claire. Anyway, here we go. I hear one or of two things surrounding my generation in regards to using. Either Gen Z is sober curious or rehabs are filled with 18 to 25-year-olds. Is there actually a big divide in Claire's generation approach to substances, or do we just not hear about the average case? All of the above. Yes. Okay. Uh, she is correct. Uh, you know, we've already talked about how THC is going to have its effect, and it's going to be big, uh, strictly because of the concentration of this drug now. I mean, it's a totally different thing. Secondly, they just don't get recovery. They reject it. They push against it. They, Bob and I have had a thousand conversations. Like, how are we going to get these kids? And because of the kind of culture we're in right now, their opinion has way more value than it did before. Than the treating professionals. Right. You tell a drug addict that, guess what? It's on. Is this generation worse than that age 15, 20 years ago? Yes. Different. Just different. And and it's up to us. I keep telling Bob, it's like what's we it's on us to figure out how to reach him. We got to figure out how to I reach him. I know Bob's him. very, very, you know, angry about this. He has been. He he recently had told me that it's kind of getting better. All right. Well, that's good. That's very good. Real quick, there's a tugboat first mate on the Mississippi River named Jeremy Turner. Terrible drug addict, but mm. I think he might be in recovery now. Mm. Huge Dr. Drew fan. Okay. Jeremy Turner writes in and says. You are famous for having general anxiety, yeah. and I was wondering how you keep it in. So uh, I've had I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. I had a bit of trauma growing up from an abusive mom. Uh, I had panic attacks when I was 19, disabling panic attacks. It really was clinically bad, and I was mismanaged, which sort of one of the things that got me interested in youth and young health, you know, young people's mental health, is like I, there was nobody for me. They didn't exist back then. Just a general doctor who told me to take long walks and to get my shit together. I was like, well, I, 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 I would. I'm, I'm suffering here. I can't function. Uh, anyway, so that went from sort of panic and depression into sort of generalized anxiety, which lasted forever. Uh, general anxiety, I have more in the OCD flavor of generalized anxiety. There's kind of a depressive flavor and an OCD flavor. I've got the OCD flavor, which I used to help me be a, a compulsive, extra careful physician. So you can use these things right. productively. However, evidently it was running out of control a lot of the time. And it was Susan, who one of our kids needed surgery. And I guess my anxiety went nuts. And I wasn't even aware of it. And she called me at work one day. And she goes, you need to see a therapist. And I was like, yeah, yeah I, I know. I want to be a better practitioner. I need to clear up my shit. I got to get some stuff. I clear some things up. I'm going to go to therapy. I've been talking about it for a long time at that point. And she goes, no, listen to me. And, and the hair stood up in the back of my neck. She goes, you need to see someone. And I was I just... Put the phone down. I called someone, started seeing a therapist. I was in therapy for 11 years. Deep, interpersonal, intersubjective, you know, insight-oriented therapy. And uh, my anxiety went away uh, in the course of that. I wouldn't say go away. I'm, I'm, I'm biologically prone that way. But the main source of my anxiety was I was pretty much disconnected from primary feeling states. 
I couldn't really read them in myself very well. I could see them other people because I'd been reared as a codependent to pay attention, take care of everybody else. So I had this talent for seeing that, but I couldn't have my own spontaneous feelings that I felt strongly or connected to. And I could feel anger, I could feel anxiety, I could feel, it's about it, some other stuff maybe, but it was not fluidly connected. And in therapy, it became so. And so the anxiety kind of went away. I also had some um, trauma, what, what uh, guys like is it Peter Fonagy, guys like that called trauma-associated dead spots. Or maybe Alan Shore calls it this, which was in therapy, you know, I, I realized that there were parts of my brain that my brain didn't want me to go into. And they're, they're called dead spots. They're very uncomfortable. It's like feel, feelings of, the feelings of nothingness, emptiness. When you really fall into them, your brain won't let you go there. But in a safe environment, back in that deep therapeutic connectedness I talked about, your brain will let you go, and you learn to tolerate being in it, and it kind of fills in. It becomes it kind of, a live spot. It, it goes away. It just sort of fills in. And, so and you, that was a big source of anxiety, I think. Do you think that you're in, I mean, because Dr. Drew is in crazy shape. Do you think you're, you're being so ripped and, and exercise is a huge uh, help in your anxiety? Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and it's, again, it's an expression of my OCD and it's an expression of my trauma, but uh, I can make it work for me. Yes. One last question from Claire and we're done. Right. Is there a benzo epidemic or the possibility of one on the horizon? I have seen more people my age taking benzos as yeah. an alternative to opioids because they seem less scary. People were, who were in high school from 2012 to 2018 called it the Zandemic. Love that term. And we, in my profession, call it the forgotten epidemic. Because mm, we forget about it because we're on benzos? Because we're so, focused, <laughs> we're so focused on the opioids. But the reality is when we had the horrible problem with the, with the oral opioids, it's hard to die of an oral opiate that doesn't, that's not fentanyl. Fentanyl is easy. But everything else is really hard to die of that unless you add a benzo. Then it's really Then your easy. heart stops. And so 96% of OxyContin overdoses included a benzodiazepine. So it's just, you just stop breathing is what happens. And so, yeah, it's still being way overprescribed. I mean, it's just, it's a problem. It's not as risky, obviously, than the opioids, but people are mixing fentanyl into that. If you get stuff offline, there's likely to be some fentanyl in there. People are dying of that comp, you know, that phenomenon. And uh, and benzos are no bueno. You forget your life. You, yeah. You're not experiencing things. Now. It's not a long-term solution to anything. It's a short-term drug. Now my benzo, my benzo addiction is is standing in the way of my incredible memoir. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Shelley? Shelley. The of Shelley? course. Yeah. yeah, yeah Shelley yeah. had this long course, uh, like I think she said at least a year, where she was in Xanax withdrawal and was misdiagnosed as serious mental illness, was put in locked wards, wow. and was completely mismanaged. And it was just her addiction yet again. Well, there you go. And Dr. Drew, you are a wonder to behold. Thank you for coming on. This is, I think it's pretty nice here, all fancy. I know. I like it. Gonna, I, your apartment is more fancy. Be careful. Than you're going to get spoiled here. No, they don't let me come that much. They let me come like once every six weeks or something. So I'm okay. I'm okay. But thank well, you for coming. Well, congratulations on this. I think this will be important. I, I, see, I see telling the story again. I think it's good. I think it's important. I think all the dopey... Just you, you, um, you got your finger on something just with the name and the community and your own experience and Chris's story. It just it it has it has importance. It's it's something, and uh, I'm just glad to see that uh, people will see more of it. Well, thank you, Doctor Drew. It's always a pleasure. Sure. All right, Doctor Drew. He honors us by by being such a good dopey 
fan, supporter, contributor. We love Dr. Drew, and we are honored. I am honored by Dr. Drew's participation. And this is the uh, five-year anniversary of Todd's death, and I wanted to celebrate Todd. And years ago, we recorded a conversation with probably you know one of Todd's very best friends. His name is Sean. Everyone called him Galoo. And I don't know why we didn't air it on the show then, but here is Galoo now. Ref- well, it's actually Galoo then reflecting on on what it was like to be so close with Todd. They had grown up in the same town, and uh, Galoo will explain it. Here we go. <laughs> All right, last year when we did our first Todd Shot episode, the person I wanted to come on the show, should I call you Sean or should I call you Galoo? Geez, I can call me either. I guess everybody calls me Galoo or, you know, that's what, yeah. Yeah, I guess Galoo. Okay, well, I I met Todd, as as I've said a billion times, in like 1992. And I heard stories about Galoo since 1992. And, and, and the only, the person who I thought would be most important last year was, besides Todd's sister, was you. And we didn't get you on because Todd and Sean, or Todd and Galoo, you guys like, I mean, in a lot of ways, you were like almost the same person physically. You were the same height. You had a similar look. And you were like joined at the hip for many years, right? Yeah, totally. Like I always kind of considered him like, yeah, like the yin to my yang. Like, yeah, there's just a brothership there. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, and to hang out with both of you. Like I didn't know you, but when I met you, I knew you instantly because I knew Todd, you know? Totally, and that's how I felt about you. It was like all of a sudden, it was just like, oh, yeah, you've just been here kind of all along, I guess. Yeah. When did you meet Todd? How old were you? Um, I think we met in like seventh grade because we were both kind of like like into skateboarding. Todd was not a good skateboarder by any means. And then, yeah, we kind of hung out there, but we didn't really like... <laughs> first... <laughs> Todd skateboarding is terrible, dude. How about his snowboarding? How is Todd snowboarding? He was, dude, he was really good. Like, we went out one day, and I was like, holy shit, man, you're actually good. You can keep up with me. He's like, yeah, dude, you know, I should, I should the gnar. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, we didn't really start hanging out, like, full on until maybe, like, somewhere around, like, beginning or the summer before senior year. And then we had, like, the deaf cookies. That's where that little, like, Pete Bishukis and Ray and Rob and, like, couple other people random people but then like that's where we really like started like hanging out every day wait what's the deaf cookies oh dude the deaf cookies was our band in like high school it was it was me me on bass pete pushukis on drums or no todd on drums and ray pushukis on guitar and rob was on guitar or Ty was playing congas. I don't think he could really play the drums, but he was playing the drums or something like that, man. Yeah, we were terrible. Was it Def D E F or was it D E A F? D E A F. All right. 
like the cookies that can't hear. Deaf cookies isn't a terrible name, to be honest with you. As names go, it's not the worst name. Um, <laughs> I remember in college, like Todd and I were in college together, and somehow he wound up taking off a ton of time and moving with you to Colorado. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he? He got busted for like, uh, like that sheet of acid. Was that when he went? Yeah, because he got yeah, yeah, definitely. And then he got kicked out, so he called. I remember he like called me up, and he's like, "All right, man, let's go to Colorado." And it's like, "All right." And like two weeks later, we were fucking on a train to Colorado. Right. So, so Todd would be like, "Let's go," and you'd be like, "Okay." And I was kind of the same way, you know. Like, isn't it? It's so crazy that he's been gone this long. When you think about it, like, what pops into your head? Like, um, just that he's been gone for like how long has it been? Man? It's it's been um, it'll be, I think it'll be two years in June. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't know. I always just think of like I don't look back at it as a bad time or anything like that. I always kind of like even right like shortly after he passed, I, I was kind of like at peace with it for some reason, maybe just because I knew he like lived a full life and like kind of, I don't know, just talking to him, like where he was at, like at those last few months, like, yeah, I just think he was just like, I'm going to roll the dice and whatever happens, happens. So I don't know. I kind of, I don't know. I just felt like I knew where he was and didn't like judge him. And I told him, I know it's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, you know, so, like, I just look at it like, yo, know, I had some fucking awesome times with this, like, amazing person. You know, I don't, I don't believe, like, death is final. So, like, I think he's out there, like, you know, probably just wherever doing his top thing. Totally. And when you think, when you, th- and this is supposed to be a celebration of the greatness that was our friend Todd. So, when, when, you, when you remember him, like, when you tell a Todd story, what's your favorite Todd story to tell? Yeah, um... I mean, there's just so many from like, I mean, going out to Colorado, like that, that ended up like the train ride out to Colorado was ridiculous. We, we got this budget fare from Troy to Denver, Colorado. And like the, it was a party train. I don't know. It was like the weirdest train ever. We cleaned the, the railroad cars out of like liquor and alcohol by like, I think it was Chicago. They had to like pull the train over and then it broke down and there was a big hotel party that night. And I mean, it was crazy, but like, yeah, the last night we hung out was like probably what sticks in my mind the most. And just like, yeah, like we dead and company, um, at SPAC and yeah, we just took some, some acid and, uh, which was funny cause like, uh, I can't, like buy drugs and a lot. I just look like a cop or something. I don't know. Or I just put out the weird vibe. Here, put it out. Put it out though. You you were telling me you and Todd were, were just kicking it around one afternoon and, and he's, and you were going to go to see dead and company. And Todd's like, let's, let's trip. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, all right, yeah, we're not doing anything. Let's trip, you know? And of course, you know, he didn't have money cause he wasn't working. And he's like, yo, you got $20. I'm like, all right, here you go. Here's $20. So we can trip. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, he scurries off and like a freaking chipmunk comes back with like two hits of acid. It's crazy. Like, I don't, he has a keen sense for finding illegal substances anywhere possible. Well, a scene uh, like that, Todd's like efficient, like that's where Todd shines. Like you could see, I just see Todd walking up to a scene like that, rubbing his hands together and being like, what can we do now? Like, what can we make happen? You know? 
it's it's hopefully. And so, what was it? What tell us about the experience? So yeah, um, actually, Rob in in uh, Jen were there, so we hung out, we dropped them, and then we went up and met with them. And uh, yeah, you know, he was like he was in a good mood that day, so that's kind of like what I remember too about him. It's just like that was his like overall spirit. But um, yeah, we just like tripped and uh, slowly came on. He got all excited because he was going to hook up like. He figured out this connection at the show where he was going to get like cheap ounces for 120 bucks. So he was like on top of the world. That's how he was going to make his million. Right. So he's always like scamming for the way he's going to make his million. So yeah. And then we, we just kind of like tripped and like, we're like hanging out together the whole night. And, uh, I was in a weird, weird spot. Like at that point in my life where I'm like, man, I think like, like I got to trade my life for like, you know, for everybody else to be successful, I'll give up my life. And like, he was like, no, nah, you dude, you can't do that. And everything. But, uh, yeah, it was a dead show. Good show. And then we rode home, which was the worst, like bike rider. It was terrible, man. He could not stay on a bike. Dude kept on falling off and like, because he was tripping. And, yeah, dude. Oh, tripping or what? But he literally could not ride a bike. It was the funniest thing, man. He's like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like riding a bike, dude. That's so funny. Like, it took us like an hour to get like you know two miles. It was crazy. The the other thing that I remember was uh, that last year he was alive. Right, I I I would annoy the shit out of him because I was always talking about recovery, you know, and like what he could do and this and that. And he was like, he's like, well, what I'm trying to do is to get glue to take his life savings and buy a camper. And then we're gonna go on the road and uh, and and what did he want to do? Did he want to make grilled cheese sandwiches on the road, or did he want to like he wanted to set up a taco truck with you? He wanted you to, yeah, to exactly. he wanted you to uh, invest your life savings in a taco truck and go on the road. And I was like, I remember I was driving to Long Island on the phone with him, and I was like, dude, that's a terrible idea. You're gonna ruin his life. You're not gonna get sober. And he's like, I think it'll be fun. <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. That was like our one of our, our top ideas. Our other great plan at the moment was uh, he wanted to uh, to open a sober living house, like get certified as a sober living coach, and then like get a house, and then we get people to pay us to teach them how to be sober. And I'm like, well, dude, you got to be sober first. That's the funniest. Yeah, thing. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, he was just you know always scheming. Oh yeah, but th- I mean, Todd was a dreamer. You know, he was a schemer and a dreamer. And, um, I love that. That's so he funny. He wanted, he wanted, I remember when he was in sober living, he would call me every day and be like, dude, there's a, there's a free, there's a legal pot dispensary down the street <laughs> and they won't let me puff, man. And I was like, dude, you're in sober fucking living, you know? And at the same time, all he wanted to do was, was smoke weed and then probably getting high with you is when he suggested opening, opening a sober living, which is the funniest thing. Oh, oh, exactly, man. Yeah, because we definitely are, weren't sober at the time. So, you know, I was, I was like, in a, yeah, I was going pretty hard. So, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, good, good plan. Well, I always think, though, when I've, I've gone to the, that shop down the road from where he was, I'm always like, man, he fucking missed out on that experience. Poor guy. Like, that would have been his dream right there, too. Yeah, but he, like, he, he, I remember he was, he was working in a, in, in a bunch of dispensaries in L.A., uh, so he got to to experience that dream. 
I remember he like would bring heroin. He would bring the heroin to the pot dispensaries that he worked at in LA and like, and somebody found dope on him and, uh, and then they fired him and he's like, why would they fire me? Just cause I'm, I'm carrying heroin in the pot dispensary. Like that was the best thing about Todd is like whenever consequences hit him, he would just be, he couldn't believe that he had to pay a price for anything, yeah. you know, the, the most, totally. yeah, the most classic Toddism was he had a job as an editor, you know, for that dog, the bounty hunter company. And, oh, yeah. uh, and he would finish his, he would like log videos in the morning and he would finish logging his videos at like 11 in the morning and he would watch TMZ on his computer and they would give him shit and he'd be like, what, why are they giving me shit that I'm so efficient that I finish my work at 11? I should be able to do what I want now. You know, he, he, <laughs> he hated playing the game. He fucking hated it. Oh yeah, totally. Well, that's why he went through jobs like he went through. It was pretty funny. Oh God. I, I, I just wish I had recorded more of him, you know, and obviously, um, the world is a much worse place without him. Yeah, man. I mean, he just added like a good light and just made it interesting. And yeah, yeah, fucking. But hey, he lived. He lived a lifetime in like short years, so it was all good, man. I'm sure he's doing well. Yeah, I hope so. Right on, Sean. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you for coming through. Do you have another one you want to throw out, or are you are you good? Oh, man, I mean, there's probably so many. You could go on forever about them, but I'll leave it at that. No, it's just, uh, you know, good that you're doing the show, man, like keeping the spirit alive. And, uh, yeah, just hope, like all your listeners out there do well. And, yeah, just keep on going through, like keep it positive and just light at the end of the tunnel for us all. Well, that's the other thing. You've struggled with drinking forever, and you haven't had a drink in like six months. Yeah, man. It's pretty amazing. I, I commend you. I, I think it, I don't think you're you're proud enough of yourself for this. It's, when's the last time you had that much time? Oh, while wow. long time ago. Well, I yeah. think it's awesome. How do you do it? What's, yeah, you know. What's your strategy, dude? I actually just got so to the point, like where internally I knew I had to stop, but I just wouldn't. And then I'd get it like a couple weeks here and there, and then I'd go out and have a banged up night, and I'd feel like shit in the morning, and I'd be good. And I did that for like. The last two or three times and finally the last time I was like fucking no man this is not how I want to feel anymore and just made the change I don't know it took me a while to get to that point but just did it well I think that's awesome and uh and I'm glad you came on and um I know Todd would be happy you did too well thanks for having me man it's always awesome to hear from you and uh yeah stay in touch and be well during the corona time yeah, you too, Sean. Be well. I know you I? had your, your your battle with it. So, dude, yeah. Give my love to the family, too. I will. And you send our best to everybody out there. We'll talk soon. Will do, dude. Right on. It's sad. I don't think I've... I think I talked to, to Sean one time since then. But uh, it's an honor to have glue on Dopey. One of the most incredible things about making a podcast recording anything is is the fact that it is a uh it's a memory that's that's in stone you know or in digital form and you can always go back and experience that moment then uh which is why I'm going to play the last time Todd was on the show and uh it's it's a long bit 
So buckle in, and it's obviously with Chris. So it's me, Chris, and Todd. It was episode 126, and Chris died in 142, and Todd was living in the sober house where Chris worked when he called in. And Todd had been on the show a number of times, I think seven times before this episode, and he was basically high every time. And this episode was the most sober he had been. And, you know, he... He didn't, he was uncomfortable. And and I think that makes sense. Everybody wants sobriety be to be this great time. But when in early sobriety, when you just fucking get off of some horrible drugs, you don't feel good. And and Todd didn't feel good. And and that's all right. Just anybody who out there is struggling in the beginning, just know that it gets better. And this was from back then, episode 126. It was probably like five years and, and a month ago that we recorded this. And me and Chris were at my dad's house at the kitchen table, and Todd called in, if memory serves. And here's me, Chris, and Todd. Turn the uh, up a little bit. Hello? Yo. What's going on? What's up, dude? Sound terrible. Did you just wake up? No, I've been up for hours. Too many hours. I'll turn that frown upside down, Todd. This is the first really sober call on Dopey. I, I wish I could be excited about it. I'm just a little exhausted. It's sobriety is exhausting, isn't it? It is. It's very exhausting. How are you doing, Chris? It's taxing. I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I wake, I've been getting up at like 3 or 4 o'clock every morning and then... Um, you know, napping throughout the day. <laughs> you know, it's easier it's, it's, it's there. You got some of those uh, post-acute withdrawal symptoms? Um, Dan's convinced it's actually just acute withdrawal symptoms. Acute, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Who's Dan? Yeah. Uh, he's one of the house guys. Yeah. So you're feeling kind of acute. You're feeling... Sh- tell, take, break it down, Todd. What are, the, what are these symptoms? Down? What do you mean? What are these symptoms you're feeling? Uh, you know, I sneeze a million times, um, can't sleep to save my fucking life. Um, I don't know, uh, that's really just the worst. Achy? Achy at all? No, no, uh, that, that shit's okay. That, that's gone now. How's your knees? What's that? Your knees. Fine. Everything is, everything is, everything is functional except for my sleeping and, um, you know, I'm a little depressed, but other than that, it's, it's okay. It's, it's all part of the course. I recommend listening to Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. It'll turn it'll turn it all around. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll t- I want Is to that t- what we started with? Yeah. Oh, we started it's, with that this it's, episode. It's incredibly uplifting. Um, really? So I'm reading this book. Um, yeah. It's called Three Dog Nightmare by uh, by Chuck Negron, the lead singer of Three Dog Night, who is this terrible junkie who's going to be on Dopey. Uh, he sent me an autographed copy of his book, but I'm reading. I'm reading this story. He fucked so many groupies. Todd, you're gonna love this. He he fucked so many groupies that his dick never stopped being hard. What? And, <laughs> Stop. What? And then he go, he goes to the doctor and he says, "Doctor, look at my dick." And the doctor said, "I think you're masturbating too much." And Chuck said, "No, Doc, I'm fucking." <laughs> and and the doctor's like, "What?" And he's like, "That's right, I'm in Three Dog Night, dude." Yeah. And the doctor's like, "It's like that." And Chuck's like, "Yeah." And then the doctor says, "Listen, 
if you keep fucking, your dick is going to explode. Stop it. <laughs> no, I don't believe I'm not it. done. Yeah. Okay, are you listening, Todd? Yes, yes. Okay. So Chuck is like, okay, and he swears off sex for a few days. Yeah. And then he meets some hot chick in, like, Texas or something. And he's like, fuck it, I'm going to fuck her. While he's fucking her, his dick explodes. explodes. <laughs> she what? freaks out. She was some beauty. What does beauty that even mean? Should I does read you the section from the book? What does it mean? He said that it burst, the skin burst and bleeding. Oh, yeah. and, the, and, and the beauty pageant one woman freaked out. And he's like, it's not you, it's me. I fucked too much. <laughs> and he goes to the doctor with a burst penis. Oh my god. What do you think that about that, Todd? Disgusting. That is fucking disgusting. It's better than Great Barrington, right? It's worse yeah. than Great Barrington. <laughs> yeah. So, that's... Yeah, no. <laughs> Tell us about sober living. Like that. That's what? what I want to know. Do you have to walk around with stitches on your cock for like the next couple of weeks or like what's the situation there? Maybe stitches and some neosporin. I don't know. Who knows? They put in, like, in, like, maybe they put in, like one of those air casts to like kind of remold the shape of it or something. I don't. <laughs> I don't think they had air casts. In I, the I, I I shot meth once and I masturbated so much that the next my dick started bleeding and the next day it was like all sore and stuff. Yeah, I, I've done that before. That's, yes. That's, I, well, I was also. I was also masturbating into paper towels. I was just putting paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> a little abrasive. Yeah, that is abrasive. You gotta put some lotion on that shit, buddy. Some lotion, or maybe like a soft sock, or some of those yeah, tissues yeah, plus like aloe. Sock, you know, or something. <laughs> so tell us about about sober living. Um, it's chill. Um, everyone in the house is really super supportive and nice, and. Uh, um, no judgments and shit like that, which is kind of, uh, you know, it's nice and it's different for me, um, after living from by myself for so long, I guess. Um, you know, but, you know, you also have a lot of different personalities. There's a lot of people here that are, you know, on, that were addicted to different substances, so you gotta kind of have to watch kind of your war story stuff, because you can say something that can trigger somebody else and not really realize it, even though you didn't mean to, which kind of happened to me like the first or second day I was here. Which happened to you um, every day you've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I, no, I mean, I. it's just like, um, uh, you know, I don't want to really say anything because I don't want to blow anyone's spot That's up. That's fine. Um, I, I, um, I want to ask you something, though, before we even yes. do that. Tell us about the end. Tell us about what happened that, that everything changed. What, what happened? Well, I, I of course, I, I uh, abruptly lost my job. Before, uh, actually, I, before, before you even answer, admit it to the Dopey Nation that the last time you were on Dopey, you were high on heroin. No, it, all right, fine. God damn it. I was fucking high. <laughs> oh, my God. Did I know? Yeah, but it, he, that was the episode where you didn't say much, right? Until that, I couldn't take it. You were sitting here, Todd. You, me, Jim, and Chris, and they're talking, and all I can do is watch you because I've been high yeah. with you so many times, and you're fucking fading, and I'm like, what? And I, <laughs> I just keep looking. Was, I was just so bored. I remember that. I was so Board, and then I got that like jolt, like where you like where you like get like one of those like leg spasms or whatever that happens sometimes. Yeah, and I was fucking falling out, and I'm like, uh oh, yeah, this isn't good. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. This because I was just so bored. I was falling asleep. Yeah, are you saying um, dopey was so boring? You were high, man. Give me a break. You fucking no, dick. no. I mean, I just wasn't engaged in the conversation. You guys were talking about something. I don't even remember what you guys were talking about because you were high. Like, 
Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Of course I was. I've been high for fucking the last fucking four years. Wait, wait. So top, what? <laughs> That's not clapping. Amen. Amen. No, he's no, no. He's now. being truthful. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> wait, so, so Todd, how did you lose the job? It was a tip scandal? That's what I heard. It was a tip scandal, yeah. I basically was, uh, run, it was a bad night. Everyone was paying with credit cards. Um, I walked up to a couple's table. They were on a fucking first date. Didn't realize it. Did not realize this at all. Uh, asked them if they were gonna pay. It was, there was, it was like my second to last table of the night because they just caught me. So like I realized, and like I had these these fucking uh, Spanish assholes, these old men from Spain on like the other table, and I knew they were definitely not gonna leave me any cash. Mm. So I was bugging out because I had like maybe like twenty bucks on me, and that was not gonna take care of the situation for the night. And mm. I had to work the next day. Um, so I walked up to the table. We had a little rapport going. So I just decided I just asked them if they it would you know he I'm like they're like you know can I get you anything else no we're good all right we'll just take the check and so he pulls out his card I'm like yo dude uh, <laughs> do you mind terribly if you had any cash to pay and the girlfriend the girl I guess used to be a server herself and she's like oh oh man I, yeah I totally understand yeah you know whatever and just because he wanted to fuck this chick because he of course she's on a date. Um, he agrees to like go get cash. So he asks him where the ATM is, and it's like literally right next door. It's like it's like you walk out the door of the restaurant, it's like right there. Not a big deal, but I understand why he was annoyed that um, he had to go get money. But anyway, this guy was a total asshole. He totally plays it off like it's not a big deal. Goes and gets the money, leaves me a terrible tip, and then what did he leave you? He left me, it was, I think their bill was like $74 and he left me fucking 80 bucks. He left $6 on 74 he left $6 after? $6 on 74 fucking uh, dollars. So right then and there I knew I was kind of fucked. That's a no good one. Like, he seemed, they seemed really nice to him. It was kind of like the verbal tip. Oh, you did such a great job, blah, blah. And then they left me like seven bucks. But I didn't give a fuck because I had $80 now. So I could go get my fucking Bundy for the next fucking, for the next day or whatever. I'd have enough dope for two days. So it was fine with me. I didn't give a shit. Wait, don't right you cover. have to give them $76 or $74? No, because my tips for the night was probably, I probably made like $100 that night, you know? Like, you have to cover, you have to cover all the fucking, all of the tips. If you can cover all your tips, they don't owe you any money for that night. You know uh, what I'm saying? okay. It works like that. So, okay. like, so I didn't give a shit. I was, you know, I was like, fine, I don't care. So then I leave, you know, I go do whatever, fucking come back the next day, I walk in, and before I clock in, my, you know, the, this manager, I mean, all the managers there were really, really aggro and, like, horrible and just, they're all mostly female and completely just rude and bitchy and it was kind of like the type of place that's, like, such a New York institution. It's like, they, they don't need you, you need us kind of, you know, um, yeah. kind of attitude. Um yeah, I'm sure Dave can definitely... Uh, well, it's also, that. you were working in a place where you get to kind of rub elbows with semi-famous comedians on a yeah, nightly right, basis, right. so... Right, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, like, uh, whatever, I'll, I'll get to that later. Um, so I walk in, she's like, Todd, I need to speak to you before you, before you clock in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I sit down with her, and uh, I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, and she's like, well, last night you were here, and uh, you were waiting on this table, and I got an email this morning, oh. and it turns out that this guy was friends with one of the comedians that works there. Who was he friends with? I had no idea. I don't. I didn't even recognize the comedian's name. So, like, I don't even know who the fuck this guy even was. Was it Artie Lang? But, no. Uh, 
obviously not. I know who Marty is. Um, so she's she was all pissed off, and she's like, "Did you do this?" And I just played it like, you know what? We were busy last night. Honestly, I just made it like I didn't really remember. You know, I didn't. I just was like, I really honestly. You played dumb. I, How I could I keep dumb. track of all of my wheeling and dealing yeah. from last night? <laughs> Yeah, I just played it off like I didn't remember. And then she, so I guess she got upset about that probably more than the fact that I just didn't cop to it and say I'm sorry. So she's like, well, the fact that you're denying it is is even worse to me and that's it for you here. And I go, okay. I just tapped my umbrella twice, got up and just walked right the fuck out. And you were like, I can go get high right now. Time out, time out. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. I had a bundle on me. I was like, fuck it. But then like as soon as I left, as soon as I left work, I was like, oh, fuck, like, I'm totally screwed now. Like, I have, like, I had two more checks coming, but, like, I mean, they're not going to be big checks. They're, like, you know, hourly, you know, you make, like, nine bucks an hour. It's, like, it's not, it wasn't going to be for more than, like, maybe, like, a hundred bucks for the next, like, I made 200 bucks over, like, the next two weeks. Yeah. When so, you, uh, when you say you tapped your umbrella twice, what does that mean? I just, like, it was raining out, and I just turned my head, I tapped the umbrella twice, got up and walked out. I, I wanted to turn around and say, fuck off, or fuck you, or whatever, but I just, you know, I just kind of walked out, like, it didn't really matter to me. Before, you know, I, be- I, before we even... I didn't care. You were really like, you are like, before I leave, can you give me um, my two checks in cash, please? <laughs> if you could give it to me in heroin, that would be really helpful. Could you pay me my tips in heroin tonight, please? Um, so, but dude... I, yeah, so after that, I just, um, I took off... I went to my friend, my friend Angela's house. We got a gram of the sickest dope that I've had since like 1997. Uh, I did that shit that lasted for like two or three days. And then when that ran out, she, she bought the gram. Like I didn't have to put money in for that. Thank God. But when that ran out, that's like when I, um, that's when the reality like kind of kicked in that, um, like what the fuck was I going to do? Like I didn't have money for food. I didn't have money for shit. Um, I was in trouble and uh, I hadn't spoken to my folks in like months and I did the desperate call and I was like, can I come home for a week? And they're like, no, you can't come home. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like we're getting construction on the house. We haven't spoken to you for months. You're obviously on drugs. Um, We don't want to deal with this shit, you know, like go get some help. And so I had to, uh, I had to basically check into the hospital just so I could eat for that week and have some place to go because I just couldn't, uh, Return home, you know. Like my parents just didn't want to deal with my bullshit. I guess. Were you able to just show up and check in? Like, what do you health insurance? What do you got? How did you do it? Uh, I no, I didn't have health. Ins- uh, I did have health insurance, but it wasn't starting until March first. So um, I just went in underneath the uh, New York State Medicaid law, where they can't deny you uh, care um, if whether or not you have insurance or not. And uh, it was like eight thousand dollars. I ended up paying one hundred and fifty bucks for it. <laughs> what What was the place like? It's terrible. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's tell like, us like, about it, please. I love this. <laughs> um, you know, it's like the type of food that comes on like the. It's like prison food. You know, it was like spaghetti meatballs when I I put my fork in the spaghetti and lifted up the whole entire plate of fucking <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs in one like one piece. It's ketchup you know, and noodles. Dude. Yeah, the noodles all stuck together. It was so gross. Dude, do you remember, Todd, when you checked into the detox with me in California? Yes, it, that goddamn fucking, what was that shit? That fucking uh, noodle dish they had that everything tasted like it? Goulash. Like yeah. Goulash. But Todd was oh, like, summer goulash. <laughs> Todd was like, I can't stay, Dave. The food is just not up to, <laughs> not up to code. I have to leave. He left because of the goulash. Uh, 
I will. I will. I don't give a fuck. Before fuck you me. even say another word, Todd, I just want to say one thing. What? What kind of motherfucker sends an email to a restaurant about a tip? I know. Seriously, though, right? As a no, waiter, such a piece of shit. as a waiter, I am disgusted and appalled that this Me kind of too. thing goes on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, can you believe this guy has like this much time on his hands, and he's worrying about this. Maybe he didn't get laid that night. Exactly. Exactly. I'm assuming he did not get it. Back to the detail. He would have woken up the next morning and been going out for breakfast with her and not spending time on, the, on his computer complaining about the fucking bald-headed waiter that fucking uh, asked him for fucking a measly fucking $80 on a $74 bill, you piece of shit, if you're listening to this fucking <laughs> yeah. goddamn podcast. Todd, can I paint, let me paint a picture for a second. Yeah, lay it on me. The, the, the meal ends. The couple gets in the cab. They start making out. They take a break. The girl goes, oh, wait a second. How much money did you leave on the tip? He says, what, six bucks? She says, pull over. I'm, I'm getting out of this cab. And then he comes home and writes the meanest email he's ever written. I think that's probably what actually ended up happening. Because, I mean, she must have seen him put the money down. They weren't drunk. They were yeah. not drunk. So, like, it was, they had, like, two drinks each. It wasn't even, like, a boozy, a boozy dinner. So, I, I think she must have realized he's a shitty tipper, and that's why he didn't get it. How, so how long a, how long a run was that at the uh, restaurant total? Uh, I was there for like uh, probably three months or something like that. What's your shortest okay. run out of place? Oh, dude, a day. What happened? I mean, I just you know uh, piss off the manager. We wouldn't get along. I mean, that happened to me a lot. Yeah, I, I'll put it to you like this, Chris. I had. 14 W-2s this season. Oh, my God. But let me just say something. Let me say something about you, Todd. To talk to you now, it's like my old friend is on the phone, and he's listening, Uh, and he's talking, and it's like, I know that you're like... (laughs) Wait, wait, back to the 14 W-2s real quick. So, Scott, do you... I mean, Todd, do you have, like, one... Like prior restaurant job for a reference that you use that you were at like a lot. So like one guy just keeps getting all these. He uses calls. me. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, yeah, I say that I came with my manager. I, I do it all the time. I text Dave and say, "Yo, I just went in for a job interview. They might call you. Just say that you were working with me at this place, please, and say that you're my manager." Because like uh, but you know what, Chris? Honestly, in restaurant jobs, they and I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud because I don't want if people are lit in the industry. I want you to start making calls but no one ever checks on your references it's more of just are you willing to put down the phone number of the restaurant or not yeah do you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah totally they, they figure if you put down the number then you have nothing to hide yeah. what if you're like oh i don't oh i uh that place closed or which is what i used to do um i used to just fill my resume with like really nice restaurants that had gone out of business so they couldn't call them that's a classic <laughs> Classic move. Well, restaurants Um, employ drug addicts, felons, and illegal aliens. I mean, that's the the haven for us. So that's yeah, that's the reason why you'll find so many of us uh, working uh, those tables. And you make good money right away. You can, you can. Um, So back to the detox, Todd. Tell us more about the detox. Um, Really, not much, man. I was in a fucking fog. I was, uh, you know, I I knew the staff really well there because this was my third time there. So they took really good care of me personally, which was really nice. Um, You know, it's like a meeting at night. You fucking lay in bed all day. You talk. You tell war stories with your roommates in your in your room. I was bunked with this one guy who would just literally prey on Mexicans. 
beat them over the head with a brick and then steal their cash on Thursday and Friday nights. This guy was the biggest piece of shit. Oh my ever. god! Tell us more. This guy, wait, like he would um, wait till they got their paychecks and then steal their paychecks. They got their paychecks in cash and fucking. Uh, he'd go to this bar and like prey on like this, on these small Mexicans and like he would like sometimes like you know get into a fight with them for like over twenty minutes and he'd be disappointed because he like because he only got like thirty or forty bucks or something because he he didn't get to them soon enough they spent all their money on beer. Um, oh my it was, god! I mean, this guy has been shot. He would shoot. He, he he's murdered people. He was a murderer. I mean, this guy was the worst piece of shit. He asked me if he could stay in my in my apartment <laughs> while I went while I went home. I was like, yeah, bro, sure, yeah, you're the keys. So he wouldn't like, fit in with the, your current milieu. I don't. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a fucking liar too. He was telling me he was getting like the dopest buns for like twenty five bucks. Oh, I, like, I hate that shit when you meet you. those people. It's I like, hate those people yeah. too. It's like be honest, you piece of shit. You're yeah. not getting buns for twenty five bucks in New York City. Well, Todd, I hope he was lying about the murders more than <laughs> yeah. the price of the bundles. Todd was really outraged. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I killed a Mexican. That is a lie. I killed a Mexican <laughs> family. I killed their rabbit. I killed the grandma. And I got a bundle for twenty five bucks. Yeah. Liar! <laughs> That's the only thing I don't believe. I don't believe he got the bundle for twenty five bucks. With the murder I was completely on, on, the, on the ship with. That's funny. Um, what else? There was really, there was really nothing extraordinary. There was the girl. The, there was a couple girls there, and like they were getting to cat fights every night. The girls were so bad. Like the girls were like the worst. Um, t- you know, fussing and fighting the whole fucking time I was there. Yeah. Um, but all the dudes are pretty chill and. You know, respectful. I don't know, but uh, Mr. Murder was farting the whole time. The mm, room like stuck. Chris. It was a nightmare. Like, no, I mean that's just, that's just chase all over the seat at night and like leave mm. the seat down. It was just. He was just such a piece of shit. Well, also, that's I, one of the things that's not really talked about is people go into detox and for, you know, opiate addiction and they take their bowels loosen up for the first time yeah, in fucking I months. Know. So, yeah. like, it's fucking a fart factory in there. It, All the toxicity comes out. Yeah. But he was the worst. Like, I mean, I was fucking, of course, I was fucking passing serious gas, but, like, he was, like, literally times ten. Of like anyone else, it was so bad. Yeah. I mean, our room constantly stunk, and he kept closing the door. He didn't leave his bed. I was there for five days, and he was, of course, on much higher, a much higher um, um, quantity of, of of dope. So they were keeping him there for seven days. So like the whole time that I was there, he was there, but he never left his bed. And I never ever until this time that I was there seen anyone get their meds delivered to their bed. <laughs> they were bringing him his meds because he refused to do vitals every time. He barely made it to meals and they were just bringing him his medication because they were so sick and tired of calling his name and having him not respond. He would just be like, fuck off, you know, telling all these all these like really nice nurses just to go fuck themselves. So he like, was not shampooing and conditioning on a daily no, basis? He did not step a foot into a shower. He, he showered the first night he was there and he did not step a foot into a shower from that point on or to take a shit or anything. Just pissing all over our seats, farting, <laughs> and uh, being an asshole and whatever. So I then mean, you, he seemed to like me, but I hated him. So then you got out and you said, Bon, Dad, like I went to detox and they let you come well, home. I got out. I used, of course, one more time because I lied to my parents and told them I was staying in the hospital for one last night. So I get out. I detox completely. And then um, they put my paycheck in my fucking account. They, there's like a 
they gave us they gave me like this debit card so like they load my check um automatically onto the card so like i got out and i took out the hundred bucks so i yeah. went out for foe and got like a last couple of bags and yeah. like, um, i had my dad and i got i got a couple bags and like four benzos just so i'd be able to sleep the four nights i was going to be home or whatever yeah so i got like four clodipin and like i think i got like it was it, was, it wasn't a lot of dope it was like two or th- two or three bags just so i could like um just you know whatever use one last time i guess because i knew this was it yeah and um that was it. I mean, I really mostly checked into the hospital just because I had no place else to go. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to go back to the apartment. I didn't have food for the week. It was more of like, it was either that or eat out garbage cans for like a week. You knew you were going to be sick. You, and the, you I was going to be sick. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I was not willing to go and rob people. And I don't do that shit. Like, well, uh, what am I going to do? You know, so I just, it was a, just, it was the lesser of two evils. It was just to check into a detox. And I went home. I had a great time with my family. I made up with everybody, um, um, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I pretty much kind of made up with everybody. And then uh, I've been here now for like what a week and a half now. Yeah, I yeah. got here like last. There week. you go, man. So how many days, Todd? Uh, I've got two. It's two weeks on Thursday. Oh wait, it was two weeks yesterday. That's awesome, awesome man. There you two go. Weeks yesterday. And I have two things to say. Number yeah. one is like I was saying before, like. Whenever you, it's like I, I talk to Linda about it. That whenever you get clean and I get to talk to you for a little bit, it's always such a treat for me because I miss you and I love you so much and I love to yeah, hear man. you sounding like you. It's like it's such a joy to hear you yeah. connected to yourself. It's like I know you're probably not loving it, but no, I. No, but I love to hear this because it makes it's positive. I like that. Uh, it makes me so happy. You know, and and it also means a lot to me just because you and me were out there for so long that yeah, no. when you get to come back. It's like I feel like a little piece of me gets better. It just—it's good for me. I'm, I'm very happy that you're getting good. that you're getting good, your I'm shit happy. together. And um, what was the other thing? Fuck, <laughs> There's something else. I don't remember what it was. Um, but how you just, how, Todd? How you doing in general? Are you like uh, you have cravings? Are you adjusting? I'm, Chris, honestly, the only thing I want to do is just go into that theory wellness place, like right down the street. It's <laughs> medical marijuana. Yeah. That's the only thing I'm craving right now. They're really strict. I, they don't even let you in the door there, I guess. Just so I know. know. Yeah. I already called. I, already, <laughs> I, I, already begged them, I begged them to let me be the first recreational patient in yeah. the state of uh, Massachusetts. So, like, <laughs> what did you say to them? Facility. I called them up and I was like, listen, I'm a resident of New York. I can't sleep. I really need some medical marijuana. I know you're a recreational is there any way you guys like part just give me a gram of, of medical oh marijuana like I'm sorry sir you have to be part of the Massachusetts uh, you know network of medicinal recipients <laughs> and I'm like oh, well what, what does that entail and he gave me like the whole list of shit I had to do and I was like not interested in doing it. well I can't I can't do that here anyway it doesn't yeah. matter um, but uh, other I mean but I, it's just because I just they want you know they asked if I want to go see psychiatrists to get like Seroquel and fucking uh, trazodone and I don't want that shit and yeah. uh, I, I just figure I'm, I'm already halfway through it so what's the point of getting on something like that anyway and um, honestly I'm just you know I'm just climbing the walls a little bit I'm used to city life 
I'm used to being able to just walk out the front door and like be entertained and here it's kind of, you know, we, there's a shit ton of snow. Yeah. I'm just laying around the house pretty much all day just watching television. And what do you do when you lay around the house all day watching television? You just want to smoke some weed and just yeah. relax on the couch. But and, not to mention you know, when you were having your city life, you were going out the door and getting drugs. You know, yeah, you I weren't like, I'm going to go to the Met today. <laughs> no, no, I mean, of course. I mean, I just find it, it's, it's really funny. I haven't had, like, I've had very, I've only had two dreams about copping dope, but, like, I'm not jonesing for dope here. It's just, like, for some reason, I just want to, I don't know, because in my head it's like the lesser of two evils or something, but for some reason I'm really, truly only craving marijuana. Like, that, like, badly craving marijuana. That's it. Yeah. You There's, know, I mean, really I, adjusting just in general to life out in country, it just it just takes a little bit, anyways. You know, you have the detox yeah, yeah. piece, and then once you adjust to it, though, I found that like living out there, my mindset changed. There's actually like a total benefits to slowing down a lot. You know, Chris, let me ask you this: How long did that take? It takes a few months. A few months, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you got the withdrawal piece that's going to get better immediately, but it takes a few months, and it's worse if you kick and scream, and you're like, like I got to get back to this, I got to get back to that, when it's just like you surrender and accept no, it. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. When you surrender and accept it, then it's like, I don't know, I, I, I find that uh, when I'm out there and when I lived in that area, Recovery was so much easier, and it's like being in a city. Like I, it, you just pick up on that energy, and it's a little right. bit harder. You know. Well, Chris also. Yeah, yeah. Chris was saying to me off the off the show. He was saying how he went into that kind of gym tan laundry mode, and that's something that you could go into. You know, <laughs> you meet some dudes and you fucking chill with them, and you like fucking have stupid jokes and you you go to the gym you go to a meeting you fucking wash your clothes yeah. and you get into I it mean, that's what i've been doing i mean i i because of my inability to sleep if i don't like work out for at least a half hour a day here i find that i can't sleep at all so like it's i've already started i mean dylan is like totally pumped that i'm like i'm even going out to the barn at all he's like i can't believe you're out of your already like getting on the bike you're already doing yeah. shit He's, he's so impressed and it's like that's pretty cool because like he, you know it just means I'm not the worst person you know that's yeah. ever come into this that he's like I'm far from the worst person that's ever come into this town so, yeah um yeah. You know, especially, you know, yeah, whatever. Todd, you you wouldn't believe the gear I bought for Dopey. You'd be so impressed. I bought a mixer. I bought three mics, mic stands. So when you come back, you're going to be very impressed. Oh, wow. All right, cool. Yeah, he's got a board with, like, 40 knobs on it. And lights. Jesus. And lights? Yeah. And and, and Dave knows what three of those knobs do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Dave, why don't you get like a smaller board? Like maybe like four? Four, yeah, four, four knobs. Four well, knobs. No, dude, I bought I bought a board that was smaller, but it could only have two mics. And I was thinking, well, what do we do when Todd gets home? <laughs> so I went out and I all bought right. another another board. Right, good move, good move. The Todd yeah. board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, good. Oh, that was the other thing. In recovery, people often say like when, when something like synchronous, synchron, synchronicity, synchron, synchronicity, isn't there a word for the us of it? Like synchronicitous, synchronous. I guess, yeah. I don't know. When something like that happens, these people say there was a God shot, and I've changed it to a Todd shot <laughs> as a tribute. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Dude, you remember? You remember when you and me were driving home from L.A. and. Uh, 
and, and I was at a dope and I was reading the Keith Moon book and I was driving you crazy and we got arrested every time we got we were yes, done. You remember yes, that time? Yes. <laughs> Wasn't that a lot of fun? I don't want to talk about that right now. Wasn't that a lot of fun, man? We already, did we already discuss this story on the show? Yes. <laughs> Let's please not bring that worst, the worst possible story up right now. I'm sure I could think of a worse one. Um, I, I still just don't understand like what you love to tell my most miserable week of my life on, that, on this show every single time you bring up the, the trip home from LA that was the worst time we ever had together <laughs> we were going to kill each other Dave. we wanted to kill each other when we got back to my parents house do you remember I keep forgetting that do you remember when we were at your parents house and we were like on, I was like leaving a message for somebody and I started screaming at you at yeah, the, dude, at the top of my lungs kill each other yeah. my sister and three basically stole money from my parents just to get your ass on a bus or a train ride home because she was home for that shit. She heard that. It was oh nuts. God. I was crazy. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. You were, you were in serious withdrawal since you at that point, I think. Yeah, I remember that really well, actually. Next time. I next time. Oh, I, I love it because for me, it's like that was something, that was a crazy experience. You know, and it's just like, it was just, we saw the whole country. I was dope sick. You were pissed off. It was just, I don't know. It was, it it was a meaningful experience for me. But next time, next time you come on the show, uh, I want to hear the, uh, the dog, the bounty hunter smoking crack in Colorado story. Oh, Jesus. All right. So get that. I better get together. Get that, get that ready. I'll write some bullet points for that one. Excellent. It's something to do. (laughs) Just to be clear, everybody who's listening to the show, Doug the Bounty Hunter was not smoking crack. I was smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Just to clarify that. Okay. All right, uh, bud. One of few times. All right. Well, Chris, I'll see you later. Yes, thank you. Oh, he's not going out there tonight. I'm not going to be. Oh, you're not going out tonight. Yes, I I feel so bad. It's literally the first weekend I've missed since I started there. But there's there's no one in the other place really. So I'll see you in in two weeks. I'm sorry, dude. We'll send Alex over. Yeah, send Alex over. It's fine. I I have nowhere to be, nowhere to go. I'll be here when you get back. All right. All right. (laughs) All right, everybody. All right, Dave, Chris, love you guys. Be in touch. Stay strong. All right. All right, bye. All right. Toodles. Later. Yep. See, he doesn't say toodles. You see, he didn't say toodles. That's, you know, you got to love that about Todd. And I will, uh, you know, listening to the two of them, it's, uh, it's bittersweet. It's very hard, very sad, but also very beautiful because, you know, right there, they're there, you know, they're always there and we can't see anything else but that. And if you knew Todd or Chris, you, you would have your own, you know, tons and tons of memories. And if you are in recovery, you know, keep on doing it. And if you are struggling, you can get better and uh, do your best not to die because Todd left behind a family of people. You know, he didn't get to have children, but he did have parents and he had a sister and he had nephews. So try to take care of yourself. I don't know why this story keeps popping into my head. I'm going to leave you with this story about Todd. Um, Todd was a good guy. Uh, He was really fun. And uh, he really loved his friends. He could be really selfish, like all drug addicts could be. But I remember we were living in Los Angeles. This is such a stupid story. We were living in Los Angeles, and I was really struggling um, 
I couldn't get sober. I, I, there was no chance, and, and I was in big trouble. And I called my parents, and uh, once in a while my parents would put me in some kind of like more expensive place. And, and this time they paid, it wasn't really expensive, but it was way nice. I, I think I had complained about going to all of the public detoxes ad nauseum, and they sent me to a private detox that probably cost you know, I don't know how much it cost. It wasn't like a $50,000 place, but it was probably, you know, eight grand or something. It was a house in Southern California outside of Los Angeles. It was nice. And um, I remember I went there to kick and it was not a medical detox. And I got fucking, it was a dumb idea. I got really sick. I was reading the Pete Townsend biography and I got crazy sick and I was in terrible shape. And I called up Todd and I begged him to bring me dope <laughs> to this 28-day rehab. And, and God bless him. Todd came out to the 28-day rehab the next day. He knew I didn't have money, but I swore to him that I would pay him back. And um, he came out with a bunch of bags of tar and balloons. And we sat, like, it was like visiting day. And all the addicts were visiting with their parents or, or their kids. And I sat there visiting with Todd and we smoked Marlboros and I was sick. And he just handed me a bunch of balloons. And, um, you know, I'm not, not particularly proud of this. I got so high at that rehab that night in the last group. It was, And then he came and he picked me up the next day and he's like, you're pathetic and I'm pathetic. And where's my money? And uh, and I didn't pay him back for forever. That was right before me and him had taken that horrible trip back east. And and later in life, though, I got to make financial amends to Todd when I was sober and he wasn't. I bought him infinite meals and uh, you know infinite cigarettes and cookies. And he would hang out with me on Grand Street and he would drink Tall Boys of Budweiser and we'd watch TV together. We watched The Wire together. We watched Breaking Bad together. Oh, man. We watched uh, that Netflix show about hip-hop. Oh, man. It was such a good time. What was that show called? Yeah, The Get Down. We loved watching The Get Down, that cheesy show together. And then um, we, and we hung out during Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane... One of those hurricanes. And we were standing on my balcony and we saw... Con Edison explode before the blackout. It was, you know, Todd and I had a long friendship. I feel very, very fortunate to have had it. And look for bonus Todd shit on Patreon. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris and Todd and anybody you guys have lost. Colleen, fucking Ryan Leone, Troy, Dave Marshall, Andrew. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, and it'll keep going on because these drugs are deadly and fentanyl is killing everybody. So just be careful. And one more thing before we go. When, uh, when I got to Los Angeles, Todd had this job working on this movie. I think he played a homeless person in the movie. But his job was like, you know, production assistant job. And I was a production assistant. And I, I would yell at him the whole time because they never paid me. And it made me crazy. But we, we bought meth every day. And the, the last night of the, of the job, when I found out I actually wasn't getting paid, 
And I told this story on a Todd Shot episode years ago, but I'm going to tell it again. We sat out in his Jeep Cherokee, and we were listening to The Grateful Dead, and, and Todd really introduced me to the dead, and, and I, had, I wouldn't have known anything about it, really, if it wasn't for him. And we sat there, and he put on And We Bid You Good Night. I think we were listening to a, a live show, and, and, and We Bid You Good Night came on, and we were smoking meth in the car, and I couldn't believe how beautiful it was, and I think I made him back it up and play it over and over and over. So I'm going to end the show with And We Bid You Good Night, and uh, we miss you, and we love you, and um, stay strong, everybody, and fucking toodles. Down, my dear brothers, lay down and take your rest. I want you to lay your head upon your Savior's breast. I love you, oh, but Jesus loved you the best. And I bid you good night, good night. Good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good walking in Jerusalem, just like John, good night, good night, I'm not Good night is right. Good night. Good night. Still on the altar. Wonderful. Good night. Good night. Let it be funny, be stuck yet another Good night. Good night. Good eat on the children. Would not be good, good night, good night. But I thought I'd stop shall comfort me. Good night, good night, good night. Lay down, my dear brothers, lay down and take your rest. I want you lay your head. On your Savior's breast I love you Oh, but Jesus loves you the best And I bid you good night Good night Good night And I bid you good night Good night Good night Sing it with us Lay down Brothers, lay down and take your rest. I want you to lay your head upon your Savior's breast. I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best. I bid you good night, good night, good night. I bid you good night, good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night.
I wanna take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had